The AP Podcast is sponsored by Epitaph Records, home to new releases from Screamo Godfather's Thursday, with their first full-length in three years common existence, in stores now. Catch the band headlining this year's Rockstar Taste of Chaos tour alongside label mates Bring Me the Horizon. And pop punk legends Newfound Glory, who return with their latest opus, Not Without a Fight. It's 12 songs of the NFG you know, love, and have tattooed on your body. Not Without a Fight is out March 10th. Make sure to get your tickets to the band's current headlining tour, kicking off in Tempe, Arizona on March 25th. You can't get rid of me that easy, no. Not without a fight, you're cool and collective. For more information on these and other new releases, go to epitaph.com. At the conclusion of the recent concert here in Cleveland, Red Jumpsuit Apparatus's lead singer Ronnie Winter quickly ran out from backstage to the front entrance of the Cleveland Agora to the surprise of many of its fans. There, for the next hour, he individually thanked every concertgoer for coming to the show as they left the venue, signing every autograph and posing for every picture. And that's from a lead singer whose band has sold over a half a million records. We don't see much of that anymore. Ronnie Winter grew up near Jacksonville, Florida, in a torn-up, dysfunctional household, eventually ending up in the hands of his grandparents who handed him his first guitar, hoping he'd spend his free time doing something more creative than causing trouble. At the age of 20, while working the night shift at a local Walmart, Winter and longtime friend Duke Kitchens formed a rough version of the band in 2001 while they both attended the University of Florida. After releasing a three-song demo, an EP, and a full-length self-titled record on their own, in 2005, the band, now known as Red Jumpsuit Apparatus, was signed by Virgin Records and exploded onto the scene the following year with Don't You Fake It. Now, the band went through a significant lineup change around 2004 before being signed, leaving only Kitchens and Winter as original members. And after the departure of guitarist Elias Rady in 2008, the band is now made up of Winter on lead vocals, Kitchens on guitar, keys and backing vocals, Joey Westwood on bass, and John Wilkes on drums. Don't You Fake It, produced by David Bendith, who's also known for his work with All Time Low and The Almost, among many others, eventually went gold and included the RGA setlist standards Face Down, False Pretense, and Guardian Angel. With an escalating fan base, Red Jumpsuit went on to headline their 2007 Take Action Tour and served three tours of duty on Warp Tour. Also in 2007, the band partnered with the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, donating shirts that featured the lyrics for their similarly themed single, Face Down. Through their efforts with that promotion, the band ultimately raised over $20,000 towards the awareness of domestic violence, a cause that's close to home for Winter, as he himself was a victim of it as a child. Taking it a step further a year later, the band formed their own national nonprofit organization called the Red Jumpsuit Guardian Angel Foundation. The foundation's three missions are to support music education through underfunded school band programs, support individuals affected by domestic violence, and help contribute to research that focuses on the management of acute hyperglycemia, something that seems to run in Winter's family. You can find out more about the foundation at redjumpsuitalliance.com. There, you can also listen to Winter's new podcast series of interviews with other lead singers. 
all about the state of the industry and life as a musician and wonder where you got that idea from, Ronnie! After working through a near collapse of their relationship with their record company due to layoffs of key staff, the band recently released its new record, Lonely Road, produced by noted producer Howard Benson. Their new release is much grander in scale, it's more diverse in song structure, and shows a new fullness to their sound, possibly due to Benson's previous work with My Chemical Romance, Head Automatica, and Seosim. It's obvious that Ronnie Winter is a life survivor. He didn't start off in life with a lot of things going in his favor. But through the love of his grandparents and fellow bandmates, he's been able to turn himself into a successful musician as well as a happily married man. And thanks to his fans, Ronnie Winter feels more grounded than ever before in his career, regardless of which way the music industry heads next week. Maybe that's why he was up front by that door thanking each and every one of them. This is Mike Shea. I will never let you fall I'll stand up with you forever I'll be there for you through it all Even if saving you sends me to heaven It's okay It's okay You started, you had a job at True Green Chemlon. So there are probably uh, listeners right now uh, that have those lawn jobs during the summer. So tell me, what does make good turf? Well, uh, in Florida, grass is a big deal, you know, because, like, uh, it's crazy to say that. But, you know, we have the the golf thing and, you know, everybody really cares about their grass. So, um, I don't know. You just put a lot of uh, potassium nitrate, actually. Is, is that the key? That's the key, man. Potash is what it's called. And uh, basically, it's just high in nitrogen. So there's the actual uh, terminology for it. But um, the cool thing about that job, the reason why I took that job um, is because they gave me my own truck, yeah. which was really rad to me. And I also got my own phone because I couldn't afford a cell phone. Hell yeah. You know what I mean? And I was still allowed to use it off the job, which they even told me that. So Damn. How many jobs are you going to find? You know, you can, you're can. you not going to get that being a roofer. Better or, than Starbucks. Yeah, and before that, I was literally digging ditches at this construction company called American Directional Boring where they put power under the ground. So you have to dig out in front of a transformer with literally live power coming out underneath it. And that just really freaked me out because you could actually, like, hear it humming. And, and you're like... <laughs> It's pretty dangerous, you know, and I saw this one guy get shocked, and I was like, all right, I got to get out of this line of work, so I went to the lawn business, and uh, it was cool, man. It, it gave me a lot of, like, independence, and I didn't have a boss sitting right next to me, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. And I got to deal with people on a daily basis, and believe it or not, I liked helping people fix their lawns because I was pretty good at it, so it was pretty cool. I, I actually recommend the job, man. <laughs> Anybody who needs a good job, check it out. I mean, Plus, they, you're they, always tan, Yeah. and and you're and you, you never have to go to the gym or do cardio or nothing like that. You're always in shape. No. Uh, you, you do a lot of walking, and when you're pushing that, that spreader with, you know, big bags and bags of fertilizer, it, it, it definitely gives you a workout. <laughs> we had the Hawthorne guys in here uh, about a month or so ago, and uh, they were talking about— uh, He's wearing a, a Hawthorne Heights hoodie. That's right. Guys. Those guys are friends of mine. Um, share producers. Mm-hmm. Share producers. Um, so, uh, and uh, we were talking about uh, uh, one of the guys' jobs. We were delivering pizzas for a while, and— uh, and so one of the questions I asked him, it would apply to you as well. Um, what was the strangest experience that you've ever walked into when you were doing that job? Um, this is kind of crazy. Um, and it's definitely not a lie. So I know it's going to sound funny, but I was going around this one guy's backyard and I literally heard a loud clap. And I was like, what was that? And I turned around and there's literally an alligator 
like three feet away from me and because I was right by the water's edge because you're supposed to stay like 15 feet away, but I never cared about that because if you, if you don't get close enough and they get mad and they call you back out there and they say you missed a spot. So I got, <laughs> I was pretty close and I literally, a, an alligator literally tried to bite my leg. And when I turned around and looked at him, I jumped in the air and screamed like a little girl and ran all the way up to the guy's house because I saw little toys in the backyard. So I was going to tell him, hey, watch out, there's an alligator down there. We should call animal control. He's like, oh, no, that's Phil, man. He's cool. Don't worry about it. We, we feed him and stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> are you Phil. kidding me? You knew there was an alligator in your backyard and you didn't tell me? Because you knock on the door before you do these things. You know what I mean? Introduce yourself. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not a weirdo. I'm the lawn guy. You know what I mean? That was pretty wild, man. It, it scared me. And so then I had to go all the way back down there and kind of like drag my spreader away. And he was just sitting there right up on the little shoreline, just kind of hanging out. You know what I mean? <laughs> Phil the hanging out alligator. I, yeah. I guess his name's Phil. You know? Did you ever have any cougars come on to you? Uh, no, I saw a cougar on the highway one time. Oh, though. you are that kind of. All right, yeah, but I was somebody... talking about the other. But oh, that's all, you know? I got gotcha. you. I thought Sorry. you meant like the animal. <laughs> yeah, no, it could apply. Maybe, yeah, it could apply. No, I, I don't know. A lot of uh, a lot of the people I, I dealt with were a lot of older people in like residential areas. Oh, all right, okay. Yeah. So you had to st- you had to talk twice as loud. Yeah, uh, I remember <laughs> you said you speaking of uh, uh, screaming like a girl. Um, you uh, you said one time in an interview, and I thought this was I don't know if you were joking or not, but <laughs> I've actually heard this said by another musician too. Um, and that's why I'm going to ask you about it. Um, as a singer, uh, you said that you tend to, you tend to speak higher in a higher voice when you're off the road. Oh yeah. It's really weird. Uh, me and my wife joke, joke around about it all the time. Cause if I haven't sang in like literally a month, I yeah. mean, my voice almost goes back to how I was in high school. Really? It's like, yeah, right now it's a little, actually a little lower than normal. Cause we've been, you know, about, you know, two and a half, three weeks on the road and, Done some partying, done some screaming, done some singing, so getting what I like to call the tour rasp in. But, um, tour rasp. Yeah, tour rasp, which, you know, you settle into that, and then your voice th- smooths through it, which Kenny from the starting line actually really helped me out with that the first time we toured them, because I was like, oh my God, I don't know what to do, my voice is going out. He's like, dude, your voice isn't going out, you're just getting the tour rasp, just just keep, keep on singing and don't worry about it, and you'll be all right, so thanks, Kenny, for that one. But, um... Yeah, man, it's really weird. It's very strange. All singers who have toured will agree with me, I guarantee it, that uh, you get a couple of weeks off and all of a sudden, you're back up like this again. You know what I mean? <laughs> Testosterone goes right out the yeah, door. It's yeah. weird. <clears throat> it's weird. It's definitely a, a strange phenomenon. And people start wanting to card you again when you want to drink, right? Oh, I get carded every time. People think, I, it's weird. People think I'm like 19. You're 20. I'm 26. Yeah, it's okay. I, I'm 26, you know what I mean? So like, but it doesn't bother me because I always get the, oh, well, you look so young. You're going to age well. So they always try to smooth the edges afterwards. I'm like, because I handed my ID and they're like, whoa, you know what I mean? So it's real. It's not fake. You can swipe it if you want. That's, that's, <laughs> right, exactly. That's I tell them. Right, yeah. And hopefully you're not on any uh, NSA list or something. Uh, I hope I'm not. You never know with the Bush administration. Though, yeah, you, know know, I mean? you haven't been denied entry to a country, you're fine. Uh, well, no, we may not have to worry about that anymore. Um, yeah. So uh, uh, so what else did Kenny teach you about being a singer? I mean, the tour rasp, what else? Um, he's just really cool all You've around. You brought him up a bunch of times, actually, because yeah. he, he, from the other interviews, I've heard you, and it's almost like you really do respect him. And for I do. He kind of took you under his wing a little bit on that tour. Yeah, um, it was just a difficult time for us because um, we got kind of thrown to the wolves. You know, we had a rental van, so we didn't even own our own van yet. Um, we didn't have a trailer, so we had to take out the back two seats and stick all of our gear and merch in there. So then you got the other six, seven dudes trying to fit in less than a 15-passenger van. So that was stressful. Then we'd never really done all these all-night driving things before, and we'd never really been in any of these states before either. This was all on the Screaming for Babies tour. And uh, I don't know, they were just really cool. The whole band, you know, they, they knew that we were young and didn't know what we were doing and kind of just... 
it'd be impossible to tell you everything that we learned from them, but we learned a lot, and it was awesome. So I try to bring it up um, to let people know that they were a really cool band to us, and I think that's mm-hmm. rad, and that goes a long way because a lot of some bands weren't very cool to us, and some people aren't very nice to us, and they're the opposite. So I try to do the right thing and, and let people know about that because uh, it's the right thing to do, I guess. You know. Why do you think that people aren't nice to you? Are you talking about like uh, road people? Or are you talking about? Um, it's, I was more kind of, I don't know, it depends on the tour, you know what I mean? It really depends on the tour, like, with that tour, it was just awesome, everybody was cool, also, Cartel was really cool, they were on that tour too, so it was, it was a really good, yeah, Yeah. it was a really good tour also, but, I don't know, the first couple times we did Warp Tour, you know, like, Mm -hmm. a lot of people, done it three uh, times, I've done it, yeah, though, but a lot of people who have, who have done that tour, like, ten years, Mm -hmm. they hate bands like my band, because we're not Operation Ivy, and we're not, you know, Lagwagon, which I love. One of my yeah, favorite bands. Yeah. Exactly. I don't have any tattoos, so I'm not cool. You know what I mean? And I don't have a mohawk, so I'm not cool. I have long hair, and I wear tight jeans, and that's not cool to them. So not not like Kevin, but literally some of the stage no, guys. Know. Yeah. You know, the stage guys. The old guys. The older, they the old don't guard. like yeah. my band. You know what I mean? And, and they, they were very clear about it. They were very aggressive about it at bars, at, um, How so? you know, just kind of uh, not like <clears throat> physically aggressive, but no, just... Yeah. Running their mouth, like, in the open, like, you know, making fun of us, cracking jokes, this and that, and we're just trying to hang out with the fans, and we don't even know who they are. We're like, who are you? Oh, I build this stage. Oh, cool, nice to meet you. And then they don't go to shake your hand, and they all laugh about it, and you're like, oh, okay, I guess that was a joke, and you're making fun of me or something. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, we just right. weren't expecting that. Yeah. But once we got used to that, we just didn't care anymore. We just, we're fine, we'll just hang out with ourselves and our own crew. And bands that we meet that are cool, which is what we wound up doing. We wound up making really good friends like Bayside. We mm-hmm. chilled with them almost every single day. Um, Under Oath guys are really cool. We hung out with them. You know, so that's what we learned. Like, I guess there's a, a on that tour anyway, and there's other tours as well. It's not the only one. You just have to realize that, you know what, they've been doing it a long time. Right. I don't hold anything personal against them. They know who they are. I guarantee they remember me. Yeah. And uh, basically... That's fine, man. If that's how you want to live your life, it's cool. I'm still going to be positive because that's done well for me. And I feel like that's why I do think that that's why we've had so so much success because we just try to put out a positive energy. Mm-hmm. And uh, no matter what, even in the face of somebody who you don't even know being a jerk, go ahead and still be nice to them, whatever. You know what I mean? I mean, being being a jerk back to them is only going to make them hate you even more. Sure. So you're going to feel that fire. You know what I mean? I always kind of felt that with, with Warped Tour, if, unless you're part of that gutter punk scene, unless you are coming up like the Gallows or you're somebody right. like, um, or you're coming from, or you're somebody that used to be in a band of note, like a Tsunami Bomb or whatever, uh, it's very much like high school. And anybody that's the new sound the new crowd, the new generation is the freshman class. Mm-hmm. And all those older guys are the senior class and they pick on the freshmen. Yeah. So the freshmen tend to kind of hang out together. So you said like, so there had to be other guys, maybe it was the Bayside guys, maybe uh, it was the Under the Underworld guys, um, you know, that, that did they kind of kind of take you to the side and say, you know, don't let those fuckheads, you know, bum you out or don't worry about them. I mean, was there kind of like a collective kind of like, I don't want to say a clique, but like a, a grouping of, of like-minded, like-generation, like-sound or something like that, people that were just kind of like, you know, kind of like did their own thing. And it wasn't just like necessarily just you guys by yourselves with one other person. It was... Yeah, um, I mean, the, <clears throat> the, the second year when we did, um, it got better the second year. And uh, the third year, pretty much by then, everybody knew us. So I think yeah. that's really what it was. And we were also doing main stage by we're that juniors. point. juniors. <laughs> yeah, we were doing right. main stage by that point, And we were drawing pretty, pretty massive crowds. Um, 
I was there. It was it was definitely awe inspiring for me. I, I couldn't believe it. So, but you know that's main stage Warped Tour, man. Yeah. It doesn't matter who's playing. There's going to be a huge crowd, and also, um, you know, some of the Bad Religion guys came over on our stage. And I remember after that happened, we never got crap again. Literally, I think it was the bass player. He came up there with his family, and they were just jamming out. And we looked over and we're like, oh my god, that's him. That's so rad. Like. I don't know, you know, it almost, we almost kind of stopped for a second, and we never, ever had any problems after that, and that was really cool, and I want to thank him for that, and uh, wow. that was it, so I guess we kind of got, like, the, the salute, you know, from those guys, and uh, that's all it took, really, so ever since then, we had no problems, and, uh, you know, we'll probably wind up doing it again eventually, that's how it works, I know Kevin's yeah. a genius, so he's going to keep that thing running for as long as physically possible, sure, so, sure. You know. You know, um, I remember Kenny, when he was in here, uh, we did one of these with him as well, and he uh, he was talking about, like, the first time that he did Warp Tour, and uh, and the uh, one of the sound guys kind of pulled him off to the side, and he was kind of chastising him, so in, a, in, a res- in a respectable, but in a, uh, you know, po- I guess in a positive criticism way, and right. say, you know, kid, you, you, you guys don't even know how to play your instruments completely, wow. and you're acting real cocky on stage. You know, you may want to check it a little bit and get a little bit more serious. And Kenny's like, oh, I had to get, you know, I had to learn that. So, you know, the, the, um, what, what, uh, what, before the record that not, not the self-titled record that got re, that got kind of taken in pieces and then put back out on the first one that came out right. of Virgin. Um, but what, what, when was like the first full tour, like the real tour, though, outside of the regional area, I guess, out of Florida? Um, was it, that the starting line thing, or was there something else? Was yeah. another tour in there? Well, before that, we were all still just, <clears throat> excuse me, we were all just um, basically working out of Duke's mom's minivan. Okay. Because uh, we didn't have any other transportation, and then three of the guys still had jobs, so we couldn't really tour all week. So yeah. what we would do is we would just, I would try to go out to the town um, a couple days before the show, and we would just play the Southeast. So we never yeah. left the Southeast. Okay. We played Alabama, we played Georgia, we played Florida, and we just beat our home base as much as we could into the ground because we knew eventually um, people would find out about us. You know what I mean? So we played, and Florida's a pretty big state, believe it or not. There are a lot of cool venues. It's very different from region to region. Yes, and yeah, it's yeah. it's pretty easy to just stay in Florida for a while. Uh, we did for about a year and a half, you know what I mean? But we did the whole coast. We played Tallahassee shows. We played shows in Miami. We played shows in Orlando. We played shows in Tampa. We played shows in, uh, you know, Boca Raton. We played shows in Atlanta, Savannah. We played shows in Birmingham, you know, just the mm-hmm. southeast. And then once we were signed, and everybody was like, okay, we're signed. It's okay. We're gonna. Everybody's just only gonna tour from now on. That's gonna be our life. Tour never really stopped after that. So it started with the starting line tour. Actually, I'm okay. pretty sure that was the first one ever. Right after that, we linked in headlining dates. After that, played for about six, seven people, at, you know, at a time at night. Nobody knew who we were because um, again, we were only from the southeast, and our, and our record didn't come out for another three or four months. But our manager, Steve, he was like, listen. You're just gonna have to go out there, and it's gonna suck for a while. And right. Every night that's how it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he's like, "Believe it or not, that's a good thing because by the time people start showing up, you're actually gonna know, like you said, how right. to play your instruments." Because we thought we did, and we were very cocky and we were very confident, and we didn't. And I couldn't sing for crap because I'd never sang more than once or twice a month. You know what I mean? Or sometimes three times a month. Now we're trying to do it six, seven days in a row because, again, in the beginning, you don't have the luxury of scheduling off days to give your voice rest because you can't afford it because you need those seven or eight people to buy T-shirts to give you gas money to get to the next venue. <laughs> right. So it's that vicious cycle. <laughs> and you know hopefully I mean? through the Mickey D drive-thru. Um, <clears throat> yes. So uh, let me ask you this. So do you ever kind of take a look at the 
initial film video that was taken of you guys off those first couple of times, especially the starting line era and that. Uh, and when you do kind of watch any of yourself, whether even it's on YouTube, um, what do you see in your performance on stage that's changed that you kind of sit there and go, you know, like, okay, I don't do that anymore. And <laughs> Compared to now? Yeah. A lot. Really? Um, like, yeah. what, what did you cut? Well, I used to smoke a lot of cigarettes, first of all. Um, I smoked two packs a day. I was really stressed out. And Holy I did, crap. Yeah. I was a, I was an avid smoker. And are, I, you, are you done done? I have this. Uh, wow, you do. This guy on me, which says, I care, I don't smoke. It's your wristband. Uh, yeah, it's, I wear it to remind me not to smoke because my voice is important and it's an instrument. And, you know, I also didn't have any vocal lessons either. So really? I quit smoking. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I quit smoking and uh, I kind of basically, honestly, just started taking my personal voice a lot more seriously. Uh -huh. And I started learning warm ups and techniques. And, I mean, I was pretty skilled at drums and tuba and guitar and all that. And I knew technique on that, I knew notes. But I was just guessing with the singing thing because. I mean, we couldn't find anybody better, man. That was the truth. There's no. It's really, you're one of those guys. Really, could not find anyone I did better. Did not know that about that. There was wow. nobody okay. good that was left that wasn't already in a band from our town. Yellow Card got signed, blew up. So they were from Jacksonville. Another band, That's Inspection right. Twelve, was huge, big inspiration for mine. They're from Jacksonville. All the good singers were taken. You know what I mean? So it was like, well, I'm gonna give it a shot. Duke, my best friend, guys. You know, we're the last two left from the last of the Mohicans. Went to high school together. Right? Went to high school okay, together. Right, so that was how. Yeah, okay. Middleburg High. He was like, dude, listen, man, you can sing. Like, I I hear your voice. You have a good voice. So he basically convinced me to give it a shot. And once I heard it on tape, yeah, I thought I sounded like a little girl. Honestly, <laughs> if, if you ever hear the first original couple of demos, I was like, I don't know, man. I remember I kept saying, I feel like I sound like I'm underwater. You know what I mean? Because I wasn't used to hearing my voice uh -huh. coming back through the speakers. Plus, they do the vocal doubling and all this other stuff. That you know, studio life was different for me. I wasn't used to it. I was used to playing in an orchestra. You know what I mean? Like, is that what you did in high school? Yeah. Really? I was yeah. wondering. I did, yeah, okay. Yeah, you would be because yeah, there was a thing you said you, were, you used to do recorder in ninth grade yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, that was in sixth grade. Sixth and then grade. Starting seventh grade, I played I tuba say, all the way through high school and into college. So did a lot of brass, a lot of orchestra stuff. Also played a lot of drums in the orchestra, but um, there was no ska band in your future. Ah, uh, no ska band because I don't know. I was at that time, believe it or not, this is gonna sound crazy. I was huge into metal. I, I jammed like Tool every day. I used to make fun of kids who who didn't listen to Tool. I was like, really? Oh, you don't listen to Tool? Well, I guess you don't know anything about rock and roll because you're a moron. <laughs> That's I'm telling you. That's I was. I'm wearing a tool shirt in my You're senior Jack Black's picture. character out of uh, out of High Fidelity. Exactly. Right? I I was yeah. obsessed with them. I, I was really into Mudvayne, Seven Dust. Um, okay. And the band I was in currently at that time was a metal band, and I was the drummer, and I screamed. So again, when we went to me singing and recording some Red Jumpsuit stuff, just some demos and goofing around. Um, I don't know. It was weird. I sounded like I was underwater. I sounded like Mickey Mouse, I thought. But again, Duke and everybody was like, dude, this sounds awesome. Let's just see what people think about it. Boom. That's all we had to do. We started selling our three-song demos for $1. That's what we came up with. We're mm -hmm. like, check it out. Three songs, $1. Right. Sounds like a good deal. Who doesn't have a dollar like on 2004. Them? Yes, 2004. Yeah. You're right. Wow. You know your stuff, man. I try. That's rad. <laughs> no one's ever actually got that right. You're the first one. But damn, <clears throat> any anyone ask anyone in Jacksonville, oh, yeah. man. We used to go down the beach, even no okay. lie. Walk down the beach with a CD player and headphones. Hey, listen to this real quick. Pop them on. If you like it, one buck. You can have it. And people bought it. We'd sell like 150 a day. All of a sudden, we come back to the beach. Boom, we're selling out Freebird, which is the biggest club there. You know what I mean? And people actually know our songs too. So then, when they come, they're buying the shirts as well. We put all that money back in the band fund. Boom. You already read Jumpsuit at this point, or was this the original band? This was Red Jumpsuit. Uh, this was, so this was already at that point. Okay. Yes. Okay. 
So I mean, it's been and this was before the the full because you you put out the you put out you put out a the demo three yeah. song demo and then you put out an EP. Yep. And then you kind of build it up song on top of song on top of song, if I'm correct, and then you did a full length. Yeah. Well, basically, a Which, lot of that had to do with labels, though, because after our we did the demo, just like you said, then yeah. we recorded three more songs, because we had the other, these other three songs, but we didn't have studio time, because uh, there's a studio called Vision Sound in Orange Park. Everybody knows where it is. It's right off the highway, on, like the main road, and mm-hmm. you can just pull off of it right onto it. And they basically made us a deal. They were like, hey, you can record here. When nobody else is here on the weekends in the middle of the night for free, but if you get signed, you have to pay us back for all the studio time and expenses. So we were like, yeah, we'll take that deal because they liked us and they thought we were good. Okay. So we only had two days to make those three songs and we only had from the hours of like 5 p.m. until 5 a.m. So we would literally stay up all night and the engineers, one, one engineer would come in on his off day basically just because they liked the band, which was his name was Paul and he was awesome. Thanks, Paul, for doing that. And we stayed there, and so we had those other three songs. We couldn't bang out six in two days, you know what I mean? That's impossible, not at a good quality, I don't think. I think that's very difficult to do. We came back, did the other three songs, and then all of a sudden, already, I mean, you know, we were selling out venues and doing minimal weekend touring is what Uh I call it. We had labels come out, Um, and one of the first ones to pass on us that we were really kind of like bummed out about uh, was Atlantic, and uh, because... Atlantic Records is so huge, you know what I mean? Right. It was like... It was filled by ramen. Yeah, well, it was at this point, it was still... It was just Atlantic. Okay. Um, this guy named Steve-O, I think was his name. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was like, you know what? You guys are pretty good, but I don't really think you're a singer. And boom, that I looked over at Duke and was like, see? You know what I mean? Oh, so that right. added so to my... all your insecurities came back. Came and- right back. And at that point, we kind of hit a low, a low slump for a while. And a couple people left the band. And we were like, all right, well... I mean, there's uh, a lot more labels. That. All right, yeah, because yeah. I saw that. There was like a bunch of people left all at the same yep. time. Yeah. Yep. And, Drummer, uh, bassist. Yep. We lost, we lost, we've pretty much lost everybody but me and Duke a few times. So okay. it's happened once or twice. Okay. Um, it'd be hard to really trace that back, but we've had three different drummers. We've had two different bass players. Duke's also played bass for a little while. I play guitar. I also played drums originally. So, I mean, we've had a really crazy lineage, but me and Duke started it and we're still in it. That's the end of that story. But okay. um, going back... Um, well, before we start talking about it, the labels and the label, because that is actually an interesting conversation. I want to kind of give that a little bit of depth because it's a lot of bands are still going through that, and especially today with these 360 deals. Yeah, uh, these, scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you guys suffered through something which was... You guys went through a bidding war, right? Yeah, well... Yeah, okay, yeah. That's a whole different... But before we get there... Kind of. There, it was kind of like that, but it wound up not working out that way. No, I know, I know. But, but, <clears throat> um, but uh, okay, so... So let me just go back a little bit about the because uh, you brought up the studio and then and then uh, and then about I had asked you about what you changed about yourself. So let's put that in a broader perspective as a singer. Besides learned how to smoking, sing. yeah, learned, learned how, how to sing and quit smoking. What and... about your performance though on stage? The way you control the stage, the way that you work with the audience, were the things back then, like that first year or two that you kind of look back going, Dan, that was that no. Um, some of the little dance moves, I guess, um, you know, you never really know what to do and I'm not really a good dancer anyway, but the music does move me in its own mm-hmm. way. So it's, for me, it's more of like a tribal kind of feel. I just kind of like move with how I feel like the flow of the, of the right. groove is going. But back then I feel like I was trying way too hard to dance, to literally perform. Now I don't do that at all. I don't even care about that. I focus only on singing and connecting visually with my audience. If I see somebody singing back to me, I stare right at them and I sing to them personally. And then I just move from that person to the next person and people dig it. You know, I mean, people who like my band dig it anyway. And 
Um, that's probably the most, the, those three things. No smoking, learned a lot of exercises to preserve my voice, and I don't really, like, dance around anymore. I just kind of focus only on singing. Um, that's about it, really. I mean, other than that, I still, my hair is the same. I still dress the same. I haven't really changed much else physically, you know? I don't think, but I don't know. I don't know. Is it... Uh, I was kind of wondering about this from from a singer standpoint. Is uh, you're performing on stage and you, and you think that you're just you're having a good show. You're in a moment, and then there's that one person in the audience with their arms exactly you're oh, doing it right man. now. You've got your arms folded and you're squinting and you're and and you just. I would imagine being up there. It's one you, after a while you could probably get calloused and you just don't care anymore. You're like whatever, you know. But it's, it's got to be initially at first. The insecurity's got to kick out and go. All right. Either I'm being a fool up here and I'm doing something really stupid, you know. I've been in, I mean, you know, I've been in South by Southwest with industry people and there's a guy up on stage and he's doing his whole and he's acting cool and his dance moves, and then some of the industry people in the back are tearing the guy to pieces, yeah. you know. Um, or you're kind of sitting there feeling like, you know, wow, am I? Am I, uh, I would just think the insecurities would come out when you got one person just sitting there and they're just not buying it. They're like yeah. looking at you like you're a fraud. Well, they definitely have this, you know, the thousand mile stare. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> whoa, this guy hates me. He hates my band. He hates my music. And I don't know. I kind of, at that point, I don't know. I don't want to sound cocky, but I definitely, uh, I kind of point them out a little bit in my mind. And I try to at least sway their opinion the best I can by performing. And that sometimes doesn't work. You know, sometimes even after the show, you still see him kind of eyeballing you and like, <laughs> You're like, man, that guy really doesn't like me. You know what I mean? But either way, um, most of the time that happens is when you're not headlining. And then you just got to understand that. Look, man, you're not the big dog. They're here to see somebody else. You're lucky enough to open up for this band. Mm -hmm. So, again, you just wind up being, the whole cycle comes back. You wind up being grateful that you even played the show and, and you realize, okay, well, not everyone's here to see me. So, you're right. The insecurity of knowing that, you know, at that point, uh, it's not all about you. It's about the whole show and not everyone's always going to be stoked about seeing you. So you win some, you lose some, you move on, you know? Right. So, um, another one going, but just kind of sticking back in the, in the beginning part a little bit. Um, uh, you talked about playing around, um, in the South, the Southeast, um, you know, a lot of Yankee, uh, boys that go down in the South and they never played in Alabama before mm. or Southern Georgia. <laughs> and, uh, you get about Orlando South, that's wholly different territory, but, North of Orlando, you're in the South. Oh, it's backwoods. Oh yeah. So, uh, so, what is there? Um, have you found that you have to have had even now? Do you have to change your performance at all? The way that you address people? I just kind of remember something a tour manager once told me. He's like, <clears throat> I always wear a cowboy hat when I'm in the South because people automatically respect you. You got cowboy boots on. Um, mm -hmm. a snake, snake. Uh, no, these are actually they're uh, just alligator. No, what are those? It, they look like Gator, but they're just leather cut. All right, okay. Uh, I said I just pointed you out as a fraud. Sorry about that. Uh, I'll edit good. that out. Uh, anyway, so, um, so what's uh, is you have to change the way that you kind of work the stage? You talk to people, or um, I mean, I say y'all in general conversation. Uh, Leonard Skinner's one of my favorite bands. Um, you know, I'm Southern man. I I say ain't as well, and I know you're not supposed to say it, but. I don't know. We just um, we I like I think that we come off with that southern charm. Bands like us and like Maylene and the Sons of Disaster, they're the right. same same type of vibe. We just be ourselves. Um, I say, how y'all doing tonight on stage? Just let them know. Hey, we're kind of a southern band, whatever. And when we're down there, we fit right in. They don't even care. Um, those are those are my people, man. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that's where I grew up. I grew up in a small town in the middle of nowhere. Uh, when I turned eighteen, I moved into my own trailer in the middle of the woods. And uh, that's where that's where everything happened for me. So all of my friends are rednecks. 
uh, I'm a redneck, and basically, uh, you know, that's my those are my people. So we don't have to change at all. Mm-hmm. We just we're completely ourselves. The only time we feel weird, honestly, is probably when we do international touring because that's really when people kind of like, oh, y'all Americans, huh? Y'all sound like this, right? And like, <laughs> and we're like, okay, maybe we should try to like sound more sophisticated you know what i mean because they have that weird like vibe yosemite sam you know what i mean like that's how they that's how they picture all of us and we're not helping that you know what i mean like so we're working on that we're trying to fix our uh overseas uh image i guess but we'll see how that goes i don't know some people like it some people hate it who cares you know it's definitely different though like you're saying like new york though i think is for me being from the south it's the opposite for us it was weirder up north yeah we weren't really used to you know people talk a lot different they right. talk totally different oh, than, yeah, yeah. than we do down south. And we're like, wow, you guys sound weird. And they're like, wow, you guys sound weird. You know <laughs> what I mean? So that was pretty funny. The dialect, just in only in our country, yeah. is crazy from north, south, east to west. Um, you did you did grow up in Middleburg. Um, and that's uh, right down a highway. Off, it's southwest of Jacksonville. Yeah. And uh, there's another city that's a little bit farther southwest of that called Stark. Yeah, in yes. Gainesville right next to that. And you got a bunch of camping grounds near you. Yeah. It was uh, you were going to college uh, up in Jacksonville, at University of Florida. Uh, University of North Florida. North Florida. Yeah. And uh, what were you majoring? What were you wanted to major in? Music was my major, and okay. mathematics was my minor. Um, I love math. I'm like totally into. Really? Yeah. I had my calculus teacher was actually uh, when I was in high school was the drummer for Hang On Sloopy. Hang wow. on, Sloopy, Sloopy, hang on. And which is cool, you can actually hear him play double bass with a single pedal, which blew my mind. <laughs> and I told you I played drums uh, right. my last couple of years in high school, so me and him hit it off. We both love math, we both love drums. I actually bought his drum set and still have it. It's a Tamar Rockstar. Was and, it used uh, on the recording? No, no. Not, not that one, all right, got No, it. but it was su- still super rad to me. He was the first famous musician I'd ever met, and he told me a whole story about touring and this and that, so it was kind of my first What'd you experience. learn from him? His name was Mr. Hale, too, by the way. I don't know if he'll ever hear this, but it'll be awesome if he does. I don't even know if he knows that I'm in a band that made it. Really? You know what I mean? Because after that, you know, I left high school. Do you remember, was there anything that you remember? I mean, because, yeah, you're right. Those mentors, those yeah. guys, sometimes they don't even know they're mentors. Yeah, exactly. And they end up being one. And then they there's something that sticks in your head every single time from that person. You know um, what I mean? He taught me just a lot about, you know, just not being a slacker. I mean, he would like, he's the teacher that if you fell asleep in class, he would like embarrass you in front of everybody. <laughs> Even if you were cool with him on an out of class level, Yeah, which was good for me at that point in my life. I was definitely, uh, you know, I was a senior. I was headstrong. I thought I knew everything in the whole entire world. I was uh, pretty good at school, already accepted into college. So definitely thought I had everything figured out. And he kind of kept me grounded and was like, hey, you know, there's people out there smarter than you, like me. You know what I mean? And but that, you know, but that encouraged me to get to want to be smarter. You know what I mean? And then I went to UNF and I played tuba in the orchestra there, and uh, that was cool because I didn't know if I was going to make it. That was the first time I ever had to try out to be in a in a orchestra because colleges don't just take anybody. Right. So I was glad I made that, and then uh, I ran out of money after that. And uh, I didn't have uh, any financial aid or any support. I had one scholarship, but I blew all that on beer. Basically, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I got a check for. I remember I got a check for fifteen hundred dollars, and I came home, and, I, and that was right when. Um, what do you call it? Uh, what was that stuff called? Uh, it was uh, Smirnoff Ice. That's oh, yeah, what it yeah. was called. Yeah. Right when that stuff came out, and I don't know why, but I just I, I was really kind of I drank a lot back then, so I just spent almost all that money on BW3s, wings, and Smirnoff Ice, and didn't spend any of it on college. So 
That was stupid. That's, that's a obviously. lot of BW three. It was a lot. <laughs> well, I also yeah. took all my buddies there. I was oh, like, all right, I so got a thousand dollar bill. I showed my friend. I was like, look at this thing. I've never seen one before. You know what I mean? It was it was cool. I don't <laughs> regret it though. You know what I mean? No, I, you, we, we all do time. those stupid things, and it is yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ran out of money, man. What can you do? Right. College ain't free. So was that? Uh, uh, we're gonna take a music break here, and uh, uh, just a couple minutes. But I do want to ask about this too. Uh, you were uh, the, if I'm correct, the story is is that you were about 19, 20 years old. Mm-hmm. You were going to college. You were working yourself into the ground. You were living on your own. I don't know if this is when you were living in the woods or not. Uh, in the at that time period. Yes, still in the woods, still in Middleburg. All right. And so uh, and. Mm. Um, uh, Duke was in college with you? Duke actually worked with his parents. They had their own business, and I felt bad for him. He literally, he had basically had to clean toilets and bathrooms okay. in, like, construction houses. So wow. that, that's what he was doing. He was going to go to college, mm. Johnson & Wales Cooking School, because he's actually a really good cook, too. Oh, that helps on the road. Yeah, and uh, but he never went. He just never went. I don't know. It was weird. Like, he never left. You know, like, he always kept talking about it, but never left. It was, I thought it was funny, because one of your songs was uh, used in uh, Employee of the Month. And yet you worked night shift at a Walmart. Oh, yeah. Stock. Super Walmart in Fleming Island. Um, Where's that? Overnight Stock, which is basically right next to Middleburg. It's the okay. same town. But they, they took this little section of Middleburg and they called it Fleming Island and they built all these brand oh. new really nice places. Oh, yeah, yeah, So yeah. it's kind of the ritzy, like strip nice. Strip mall. And maybe man. one day I'll move there, you know? Like right, right. One of those type of things. But yeah, a little strip mall. It's really nice, though. I, I like it. I'm glad yeah. they built it. It's convenient. And uh, there's a Walmart close now. Well, actually, now there's one in Middleburg, so that's even better. But You worked at the Super Walmart. In Fleming Island, yeah. And Island. me and actually two guys in Red Jumpsuit did. My old guitar player, Tom Samuelson. He, okay. Me, him, and Duke were the first three amigos. Um, he left the band and joined another band, Love Arcade, and now he's in, oh. a, in a new band that I'm trying to help him uh, get out. They're called Fit for Rivals, if anybody's interested in checking that out. But um, anyway, me and Thomas got jobs together. Uh, we tried to do everything together and uh, worked overnight. And uh, basically, it sucked. I'm not going to lie. It really sucked. Um, 10 o'clock at night till 7 in the morning. And then basically after that, I had to drive straight to UNF, which is, if you look at it on the map, on the opposite side of town. Completely, at least an hour drive. On the other side of Jacksonville. Yeah, Jacksonville. Okay. And so I'm going from Middleburg to Jacksonville. Plus there's morning rush hour, which everybody has to deal with that because everyone else is going to work. And right. I'm trying to get to school. And then music majors have extremely heavily loaded schedules. It's like a known thing because you have all of your normal credit hours and then you also have rehearsal time, Mm. which it doesn't count. That's not a class. Then you also have own personal practice time so you don't suck in rehearsal because the (laughs) band director was really good and really on top of his game. So if you missed a note, he heard it. I don't know how he did it, but he could hear anybody. He could pick one person out and be like, you missed this note on this measure and I heard it. And I'd never met anybody who could do that. So... I was, you know, I practiced a lot because I like to be good, you know, at music. Yeah. And basically, uh, I would get there right on time for my theory class in the morning. Barely, I'd have 15 minutes. I'd go and grab like a coffee or something, try to like, uh, you know, juice back up and not fall asleep in class. Then, boom, you know, the schedule starts through the day. You finish school about three o'clock, then rehearsals at four. Yeah. And then now I'm back in rush hour traffic again at five o'clock, trying to get home to catch a nap before I got to be at work at 10. And uh, at least the good thing about that was Thomas always drove to work, so I got another additional 45-minute nap in usually. So it was rough, I'm not going to lie. I, did, I couldn't do it very long. I did it for about two months, and then I almost just completely stopped existing. I mean, I got into a really weird mode in my brain, and I was like, when I was reading text in class, like some words were starting to like move back and forth because I was so tired and like, overworked and then so I just quit both I quit Walmart and uh, school 
And basically, me and Thomas and Duke and uh, the other guys who were in the band, uh, I believe it was James and Brent at that time, our original two, uh, original bass player James, who joined the military, that's why uh-huh. he left, who's uh, build stealth bombers, builds stealth bombers now, which I think is rad, uh-huh. and Brent, who went to college. Okay. Um, but... It was rough, man, definitely, and uh, I'm glad I made it through that time without, like, crashing my car or something crazy. Right. That's really the dangerous part. You're driving and you're so tired. You're literally nodding in and out, but you can't stop. You got to go. You got to make it to work, or you got to make it to school, you know? So for the music break, name two songs by two different artists, okay, that you probably, I would think, had on the car going to school that were, like, your driving songs. Like there had to have been two, there had to have been like two bands that were like keeping you moving through that time period. Definitely, um, probably number one, um, Thrice. Um, they're really awesome to me. Like everything they do, even with even with the charity work and everything, inspired me, and that's why that's one of the reasons why we do mm-hmm. a lot. Um, so, Thrice, Artist in the Ambulance. Um, that mm-hmm. song's like really awesome to me, mm-hmm. and I just plus a couple of my buddies are EMTs and stuff, so it really wow. means a lot to me. And uh, another one. Hmm. I'm just always jamming Peter Gabriel, so anything off the So album. Yeah, I was just going to say, you like So. Yeah, I mean, it's still even today. I've, I've said it a thousand times, and I, I listened to it last night almost all the way through until I fell asleep. There has to be one song that's like the one you look forward to listening to. Probably um, Red Rain is my favorite mm. on the record. Okay. I just like the way he sings that song. His voice is just awesome to me. So, you know, if you like the singer, I'm the one of those guys where I have to like the singer, and I just love his voice. So those two songs... Kept me going, um, thrice and Peter Gabriel. Hmm, oddly enough. <laughs> Late night breaks, I hear the tires squeal. Red light can't stop, so I spin the wheel. My world goes black before I feel an angel lift me up, and I open bloodshot eyes into fluorescent white. Flip the siren, hit the lights, close the doors, and I am
tire squeal Red light can't stop so I spin the wheel My world goes black before I feel an angel steal me from the
podcast is sponsored by epitaph records home to escape the fate whose new album this war is ours is currently tearing up ipods nationwide see them on their current headlining tour with william control and once you get your face rocked off call your local radio station and request something the newest single from this war is ours will drop their sophomore album, A New Hope, on March 24th. It's chock full of melodic metalcore that's tailor-made for slamming into friends in a mosh pit at full speed. Crank it up and put on a helmet. For more information on these and other Epitaph new releases, go to epitaph.com. One of the organizations that you've worked with is uh, uh, National uh, Domestic Violence. National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. That's it. Thank yeah. you. The NCADV. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And um, I do want to talk about this, and it, and it, may, it may suck for a little bit, um, because there's a, there was a, a, I got a letter from email from a, a listener to this thing from Germany. And he listened to the Anthony Green interview that we did. And Anthony um, gets really serious here for a moment talking about his, his childhood and stuff like that and the stuff that he went through with his drug addiction problems and going into rehab and everything. And um, this listener said that, that after, after listening to that, they just broke down in their apartment. Their whole life was falling apart, and they broke down in their apartment. And they just said that, that, that listening to Anthony kind of talk about how he got through his struggles and everything changed like their outlook on things and figured, you know what, if he could get through that, I can get through it. Yeah. And, you know, and they they sent this really like very emotional letter, and I forwarded it off to Anthony, and he was completely utterly moved by it. And uh, um, so I, I want to just talk about this briefly. I mean, my my dad died when I was thirteen of drinking, so I kind of know a little bit about pain when you're young. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you've talked. Um, there's a uh, uh, what's that website uh, address? Uh, you did a series of three videos. There's some on MTV. Um, MTV, yeah. MTV.com. And then there's, um, a, then there's an organization. I also did a PSA for the NCADV, which has right. been aired. And then I've done a lot of different stuff with our foundation, the Guardian Angel Foundation as well. Mm. So okay. um, no, numerous different places. We also did stuff with the Take Action Tour with the right. Youth Suicide Hotline, 1877-YouTHLINE. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot up. I'm not sure exactly which one Yeah, there's Yeah, I, I mean, I was Googling around, and uh, I found I did find a couple. You're right. and uh, But there was one that I saw that was particular, and uh, I my brother today is just off with like these usually i'm pretty good with the names and things um but I think it was the mtv one is the one you're talking about half of us it was like it was half of us yeah, yeah i didn't know that i didn't know there was mtv that was yeah there. mtv okay. half of us yeah. okay so um uh and anyway you talked you talked basically that that like through the ages of like five to about 12 
or so, if I'm, and my years are off, to tell me, I'm just trying to uh, get it straight, um, was kind of like, you know, your dad was drinking a lot, and you're, you, you had two older brothers? No, you had a younger brother and an older brother. Yeah, I'm the middle child, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and your mom had started uh, getting addicted to crack cocaine. Yeah. And, uh, and then eventually your grandparents kind of came in and, and adopted if I'm correct, yeah, they legally adopted the three yes, of you. They saved keep the us. family together. Yeah, uh, it was crazy, man. Um, yeah, you got the ages right. It was uh, our our family has been through a lot of crap, that's for sure. And I don't know. I've always just said that I feel like my parents were just dumb and in love, young. You know what I mean? I mean, oh, my, okay. my mom was really young when she had my brother. I think she was 16. Okay, and she had me when she was uh, 17 or 18. Mm. We're like a year and a half apart. So, I mean, 18 years old, two kids, uh, no college, no money, both trying to make it work, working full time. Mm -hmm. By the time I'm five or six, the frustration had come to a point, I think, that uh, my dad turned to alcohol, my mom turned to various drugs, which have inevitably led to crack cocaine because in Jacksonville, it became an epidemic. It wasn't just my mom. It was everybody in that town was doing it. It was crazy. And uh, it's... And now it's crystal meth, and what do you know? I mean, it's like one drug turns into another drug, you know what I mean? But either way, um, it was it was both parents equally. It wasn't one or the other. And that was the only thing I regretted about Face Down was I didn't really paint a picture that was both ways. If I could go back and do it again, I would release the same song, but a little bit differently. Really? Because, yeah, because it wasn't just one or the other. It was it was definitely abuse coming from both sides of the, both sides of the table. But either way... Um, you know, uh, what can you do? You know, your mom's on crack, your dad's an alcoholic. It sucked. You know, it was like, I don't know. It's like we were trying to raise our parents. That's how me and my brother felt, definitely. I mean, when you're like 10 years old and you're cooking dinner, honestly, which is what me and my, you know, my brother's 12, I'm 10, and mm-hmm. we're like making our own dinner because our parents are both passed out on the floor. Right. And people are knocking on the door, and we're scared to answer the door because our parents are passed out and we don't know what to do. And it's, what do you know, our grandparents. And they're like, what the hell is going on in was here? Was your mom's parents or your dad's parents? It was my mom's parents. Mom's parents. And uh, they were just, at least they saw it early and they knew that this destruction was on a spiral. And they tried to stop and they tried to help my mom. And they tried to help my dad too, both of them, but they weren't having it. You know what I mean? They, they got to want to be helped. They made their choices. Yeah. And then they both started messing around on each other, which made it even worse. Yeah. So then there was all this content and uh, or contempt and, and just... You know, that led to violence, I guess, or whatever. So we definitely caught the brunt of that. We got the crap kicked out of us all the time. Uh, So did each of them from each other. And it was crazy. Eventually, um, they finally, you know, got so crazy that they just left each other. And uh, my grandparents were like, well, what's going to happen to the kids? I mean, what's going to happen? So my mom originally got custody of us. Somehow, some way, I don't know how she pulled that off because she was definitely not fit for it, that's for sure. Mm. And uh, within three weeks, she sold my little brother for crack and then left me in a house alone for a week. So wow. my grandparents stepped in at that point and were like, all right, this is it. Right. I don't care what the courts say. You guys are coming to live with us. And if they got a problem with it, they can come get, come and take you legally. But until that happens, you're coming here. Mm-hmm. And we were so happy when that happened because we just knew that things weren't right. We knew it it wasn't right. I mean, you're still kind of young, so you're not exactly sure if everyone else is going through that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But you realize pretty quick when it when it got to that point, that was when really knew uh, 
that things were getting bad. We were just glad that my little brother, he knew our phone number. And that was like the one thing that kind of saved him. Because some lady came in the house and was like, who's this little white kid doing here? And he just kept saying his, I guess the story is, he just kept saying the phone number over and over again. And someone who had a little bit of sense was like, uh, we need to get rid of this little white kid who's in here who's not supposed to be here in, this, in the middle of this crack town. And uh, they called the number, called the police, and uh, they came and picked him up and brought him home to my grandpa and was like, we don't really know what happened, but we know he was with your mom and now he's, now we have him, so do you want him? And then it was like, yeah, bring him home, please. So that was it. That That was the last thing. And then Obviously, the courts saw it their way, and they got full custody of the three of us. And then they had to deal with three wild-ass kids, man. Like, we would break into people's houses. We stole stuff. We were mean, you know, and mean, mean-spirited, violent in high, in, uh, in school. Mm-hmm. Like, we didn't have any kind of structure in our life whatsoever. So, right, right. you know, my grandparents, they adopted us. They, they uh, disciplined us, and they taught us, you know— it taught us a lot about, like, just dealing with it, you know, because you can't go back in time. There's nothing you can do about it, so you just have to deal with it. Like you said, you, you had to deal with it, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, there's nothing you can do, so I'm glad that they saved us and that they were able to fix us because we could have turned into really bad people, I think, and we didn't. I don't think we did anyway, you know. My brother just got back from Iraq, so he's, in my eyes, a hero and uh, a patriot, and uh, my older brother is a musician, and he does a lot of, like, commercial work. You've probably heard some of his stuff. You just don't know it because he does cool, like, ditties and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. And makes a lot of money doing it and has a good career. There's a lot of money in that. And he's a, <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot. A lot. I think he makes more than I do. <laughs> and uh, he's also got his own band going. So I don't know, man. We pulled out of it somehow, thanks to my grandparents and God. Did you... Um, w- Usually when there's a, a kind of a household and there's no structure and there's, things are painful and stuff like that. I remember my my parents used to fight with my dad, get drunk and stuff like that. And he used to say some really crappy stuff towards my mom, you know, like, you know, I drink because you're ugly, things right. like that. You know, just horrible things that you hear when you're a kid. So you find a place in your world to escape to. Yeah. So did you have that kind of area? Yeah, definitely music, you know. I mean, that what, and... What did you do? Was it Was it at that point like... Picking up an instrument, or was it just listening to music in your room, or what was it? Well, right then, right when all that happened, like literally that same weekend. Um, Which, so we all like when 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 your my young mom was... just left me and, oh, okay. and, and sold my brother and okay. everything else because that all happened in the same week time span. We the very next week after that, we all moved in with my grandparents, and uh, the first thing my grandpa did was he bought me and my brother guitars, and oh. he was like, "I know you guys don't know how to play these, but I used to play banjo." And you're my grandson, so they say it runs in the bloodline. So that's what he told us. And we were like, okay, well, if you used to play banjo, we can probably figure it out. Because if my grandpa can play it, you know what I mean, then we can play it. So we just basically just figured out how to tune it. You know, that's always the the hardest part. He helped us with that. And then we just would jam all the time. We really did. Me and my brother jammed every day. Every single day we jammed. We'd listen to the radio and then try to copy copy what we heard. Yeah. And then he got a drum set right after that. So I think that's why my grandpa's plan was to get us interested in something that would probably get us to not think about what just happened. You know what I mean? Or what had happened even in the past five, six years even. You know what I mean? And we also went to a lot of counseling too. And uh, we basically had to do a lot of counseling. That was really weird for us because we were like, this is just weird. Some guy's in here asking us about stuff that we don't want to talk to him about. Right. And we don't know who he is, and this has nothing to do with us. And that was strange. But we made it through all that, and uh, we just played a lot of music. We really did. Um, 
that's all we ever did. And we sat around and just planned our rise to... Really? Yeah, definitely. Without a doubt. I mean, some of our early demo tapes we made when we were like 13, 14 years old. First band was called Radioactive Fungus Monkeys. And it was my brother and his friend, and I played bass on the keyboard because we didn't have a bass guitar yet. So I would be like, ding, 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 <laughs> sitting over there. My brother was playing drums, and his friend Roger was a guitar player. And we just knew we were going to make it. We knew we were going to make it. We had songs called, like, Roast Beef was one of them. Yes. And it was about roast beef, which is a stupid, you know, you're a 13-year-old kid, man. You don't know how to write a song. You know what I mean? Or at least, I'll be honest, I did not know how to today, write a song. Today, that'd be a Rihanna song. Probably. Roast Beef. Yeah. Roast Beef, yeah. yeah. It was crazy, man. We And, uh, I don't know, it's hard to explain, but we definitely believed somehow, some way, that, that we were going to make it and that we were going to play music forever because... Uh, I don't know, we got pretty good at it, too. And, like, right after that is when junior high started, and he put us both in band also, in the school band. So right right after all that, music it kind of took over our life, and that was definitely our escape. And, so and were you still, still getting in trouble at that point, or was that kind of, like, post I was that? afraid to get in trouble. Because oh, my really? grandpa would put the fear in God of me. Put oh, the fear of God okay, in me. I see. Totally. I mean, he's a 325-pound ex-Marine. <laughs> and yeah, you don't mess with that. No. I no. mean, he would basically, he put us through boot camp. No, I mean, no bull about it, man. We did push-ups. We did sit-ups. He ran us around the house. We did jumping jacks. He taught us kung fu. I mean, he was crazy. Like, if we got in trouble, he would work us like Marines. That's what he would do. I mean, that was what he knew, and that worked. You know what I mean? And it got Tough us. Love. It, hey, it worked. It did. Yeah. I stopped what, what's getting. That, what was that series? Scared straight. Yeah, was it? Was it, yeah, yeah. yeah, that was how it was. He 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 scared us straight for sure. <laughs> and uh, hey, all of a sudden my grades went up. I went to the top of my class. I became the vice president of the National Junior Honor Society. Wow. When I was living with my parents, I had straight F's and D's. And it's because nobody cared. No one told me to do my homework. Nobody told me that school mattered. We didn't care about school. It was a joke. To us, school was a joke. We were definitely the troublemakers in, in class. We were the ones starting fights, stealing stuff from kids. You know, we didn't give a crap about... Most of the time, we wouldn't even do the assignment. we just put, like, put a big X on it and pass it up. Because what are you going to do? Give me a referral for doing that? You know what I mean? Like, we were very defiant. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess just because there was no order. You know, there was no order in our life. Right. And he, he gave us that, you know, and I'm very appreciative of that. So, just to kind of... I, I want to just wrap up this little... This tough stuff, um, just a little bit, because I want to talk about other things and cool. uh, happy things. Um, Great, and and we'll talk math if you want. Hey, all right, um, derivative, baby. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, no integers, no integers. No I'm, not integers. Gonna, I'm not going there. Right. Um, the uh, later on, though, when you were talking about the Walmart era and and pulling just burning yourself out, you were talked about at one point. It kind of came back again, mm-hmm. and you started drinking. Yeah. And uh and you then you started struggling with depression yeah. of some sort of it. Big and, time. And um I, I kinda you know, it's it's kinda like what uh you you know your grandfather said about you and the and the banjo and the guitar. It's like it runs in the family. Yeah. But as I've kinda learned like I don't drink a lot. And if I drink I get I wanna be a cheap drunk and I just wanna get drunk fast and that's it. Right. So I don't open up that Pandora's box because I think genetically it's in me. Right. So smart. What have you learned about your I mean, if you learned to kinda especially, you know, being a musician on the road, it's just like, it, 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 the moment you get off the tour bus, there's a beer in front of you. The moment you walk into the club, there's another beer in front of it's you. Everywhere. You go over here, and then there's a drug offer, and then you go over here. It's everywhere. So how do you struggle with that genetic system inside of you? And you're, and and is well, it your wife now? I'm married she, now. Yeah, so is that doing it? She's awesome. So I don't probably mainly her. I mean, I definitely drank more before she was on the road with us. Mm. But... um 
I don't know. For me, like at that time, when I was 21, right when I turned 21, I definitely, I definitely had, I dealt with a lot more of those issues again because I had, you know, my grandparents, like I said, they, they brought us back into like reality. So we were able to kind of like live happy lives for a while mm -hmm. and like forget about that. And, you know, and I loved being in college and I loved playing tube in the orchestra. But when that all ended is, is really when that, you know, the depression started because I felt like I lost everything. You know, I, I felt like I didn't have a future anymore. I was always very sure that I was going to play, uh, either be in a rock band or play tuba in an orchestra and make money. And that, that was what I was going to do, one or the other. And uh, one of those dreams was officially over. You know what I mean? Like, I went and I didn't make it. And that realization point was pretty hard for me, for sure. So I would drink a lot heavily. And then when I would get drunk, I would bring up what happened to me when I was a kid yeah, all right. to whoever was around. And I was, yeah, I was pretty... Uh, you know, pretty pissed off, man. Pretty pissed off about, you know, what I called the hand I was dealt. Because mm -hmm. um, I tried so hard to go to college on my own, completely on my own, with nobody's help, no one at all, because I was confident that I could do it, that I could handle it, uh -huh. that I could do it, that right. I, I would succeed. And I did not succeed. I failed. Fell flat on my face. And, uh, wow, that was... Uh, that was definitely rough because nobody wants to be a loser, man, you know? Nobody wants to know that I'm going to have to work construction for the rest of my life or I'm going to have to, you know, work as a lawn care guy for the rest of my life or whatever it is. That's when you when you sit down and think like, wow, this is it. This is how it's going to happen, which is crazy that I had that thought at 21. I realize that now, but I did because I'm always trying to look ahead. I'm always trying to pre-plan. I'm always trying to be one step ahead of the game because uh, that's, I don't know, that's how you move forward, I think. And uh Finally, you know, I, you know, Duke helped me a lot with it, and he was like, dude, don't worry about it, man, because we're going to be famous. You know what I mean? So, hey, you know, he just helped me uh, forget about it. So for about six months, I was just, just a drunk. You know what I mean? I didn't have a job. I got kicked out of my house. Oh, uh, basically lived in my car for a while. That was actually not so bad. I mean, it sounds bad, but if you're single, which I was at that point, like... <laughs> You know, it's not so bad. I mean, you got your clothes in the back seat, and you can lean that seat back. And in Florida, the weather's pretty consistent all year right, round. Right, exactly. Now, you wouldn't be able to do that up here. No, 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 no. No way. No, yeah. no. But where I'm from, it wasn't so bad. And I finally started piecing things back together. I got a decent job again. I got my own place again. And then, you know, at that point, you know, it was really when Red Jumpsuit started taking off. So I chilled out. I just stopped doing it all the time because I started being happy again. I had something to look forward to. And uh, the band was started to do well. That was right when, right around the time when we recorded that demo. Actually, that's pretty much it. That was that was when we first went in. I remember uh, I had a little bit of an issue because I got really drunk one night, literally like uh, right before we did the demos. And I told the whole band, "Screw all you guys! I don't need you. You know, I could do this on my own." And everybody was just like, "Whoa." That was weird because they were my friends, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I didn't mean any of that. That was just bull crap. I was just wasted out of my mind. And uh, we were celebrating because uh, the Atlantic Showcase was the next day or two days later. And we just were sure that we were going to nail it. You know what I mean? We were sure we were going to nail it. And I guess we didn't nail it. And I don't know. But either way, that was the only time really, in my opinion, that it became an issue. And immediately I was just like, okay, listen, guys, I was a total asshole last night, and I'm not going to do that again. So I'm sorry. And they all forgave me, and it was it, whatever. And, you know, every now and then, I'm not going to say I've never been a drunk asshole again because that's a lie. I definitely have once or twice, but once or twice, man, come on. You know what I mean? In the grand scheme of things, how bad is it? Are you hurting anybody? No, as long as you're not being violent and destructive and just out of control, I haven't been that. 
But, you know, I've been I've definitely been drunk enough to run my mouth to a couple of people that I shouldn't have mm. and have regretted it. But at the same point in time, if you take all the all of the times that I've had a really good time hanging out with fans and friends at bars and that and everything was just fun and positive, they far outweigh the good than the bad. So whatever. I'm not going to say I don't drink. I'm 26 years old. I do drink. I drink beer sometimes. Uh, that's pretty much it. I stay off the hard stuff, though. Yeah. I don't drink, uh, I don't like tequila. I don't like, uh, you know, Jaeger. Everybody in my Tequila's band. Tequila's the nasty stuff. Yeah. That'll make it. That's Jekyll and Hyde stuff. All that stuff. That's yeah. honestly, in my opinion, what drives people wild. I just drink a couple of beers. I'll have a few beers. And then I go out and I just talk to people at the bar because I feel like that, to me, is the coolest thing. When when I was a kid and I was just hanging out and the band came out and was just so super chill and not like... Mr. Rockstar that was on the stage mm-hmm. and you can see the difference you can see the real person now because you know anybody who goes on stage has their stage persona and your job is to entertain that is your job so you're going to be larger than life hopefully or you're not a good entertainer and you know off off the clock if you will it's good to just be normal you know and for me sitting in a bar having a beer with a bunch of people who just had a good time is normal that's normal for me so you know I just Keep it in moderation. It's that simple. Keep it in moderation. And like I said, my wife, she's awesome. And you know, how long you guys been married? Uh, two and a half years. But Congrats. I met her in high school when I was seventeen in oh. marching band. So we dated on and off for like almost seven years, and then we got married. So oh, that's awesome. That's great. Yeah. That's great. But you know, like I, you thinking I about kids? Ah, the or kids is somebody question. pressuring you for kids? I should say. <laughs> no, we've thought about it, man. I mean, I definitely would love to have a kid with her because she's so beautiful. I know that. She's going to make beautiful children, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But at the same point in time, I'm scared. I don't want to not be home. It's that simple. I am never home. Never. Never in my home. It's very mature to think that way. You it's know? Good. So, good. And you know what? Her parents got divorced. My parents got divorced. We're that new generation. Both of our parents right. didn't stay together. So we're both scared. We're like, we don't want to have kids unless it's the exactly right scenario. And we are going to have them. We actually talked about adopting maybe. Mm-hmm. Um because we thought maybe we could help somebody out, you know, help some kid out that maybe somebody doesn't care about, you know what I mean? So we'll see. I have plans for it. Once everything slows down and, you know, maybe when I'm a little bit older, you know what I mean? I, I am 26. I know I definitely could have had many kids by now, but I'm kind of glad I didn't, especially yeah. with the crazy life I've had, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I wasn't ready for it. I think I am now, though. You'll th- know. It's soon, I think. Yeah, you'll know. Yeah, you'll know when it's sometime right. Sometime soon. I think it's great that you're thinking, like, I'm not going to be home. I'm not. You know? So it's like, isn't that kind of fair to a child? Yeah. You know, whether you're adopted or well, not. who's going to raise him? Right. Leave it on your it's wife is kind be, of fair. Yeah. I can't do that. I can't do that. Um, two things. We'll do another uh, music break, and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit more and wrap this up. Um, <clears throat> when you're out, and uh, God, who was it? I think it was one of the Hawthorne Heights guys. No, cute is what we aim for, guys. It was Sean. And he said, um, no, it wasn't Sean. It was the other guy, uh, Marilla or uh, what's his name, uh, Dave. Uh, and uh, he said, the thing that bothers him is that it seems as though fans don't know when the spotlight is off. Right. And so you're, the tour bus is there, and then you're about 100 yards away from the tour bus, and you're talking on the phone with somebody, and fans still come up to you. And so do you kind of have that, like when you want to go out to a bar, or you want to go out to some place, and you're just hanging out with some friends, whether there's some band friends or some friends locally... And you know that you're being watched. You know, do you kind of feel like you have to be somewhat on, like, slightly performing even? Uh-huh. Watching how you sit, because you know they're probably snapping pictures, and they're what, they're hitting you with video. And Well, you know what's weird about my band? Um, we've had a lot of success, but a lot of people don't know who we are. I'll be honest with you. What, we, they're like, vis- visibly? Yeah, we're not really... We haven't had a whole lot of visual... Uh, 
I don't know, like our a lot of our songs have done really well on radio. Mm-hmm. So people know our music for sure. But they don't really know I don't know. I don't I don't get it a whole lot. Um when I'm at home I get it a lot. You know, I I'm in IHOP in Florida and they're asking me for autographs. Lucky bastard, you get to go to IHOP. I'm hey, sure. IHOPs are awesome, man. I can't eat. I, it's, I, I'll, I'm also just staple gun into my my belly. I oh can't. man. Well, I got a good stomach, man. Definitely. Yeah. I, I got an iron. <laughs> You're 26, stomach. dude. Yeah, yeah can, I got an iron yeah. stomach. But um, I don't know. I haven't had to deal with that a lot. Um, but I can tell you one thing. The only time it bothers me, honestly, is if it's like, if it's like a like a romantic dinner with my wife or something, yeah. and we're just trying to have like a moment, you know, and just soak it all in that's the only time it bothers me that's it and other than that i do not care none of the guys in my band care it doesn't matter if you're on the phone so what i mean eventually you'll be off the phone and then you can talk to that person or whatever most of the time the people just want to say hi or they want a picture it really only takes a few seconds mm-hmm. or they want a little scribble on a piece of paper i mean it's really no big deal but i don't get a lot of it i'll be honest with you i'm we're not we're not like mega stars, you know what i mean or i don't think so um still over we're know, not green day you know what i mean still over a half million records brother in this day and age, it's we've had a you, lot, you sell a lot more I'm records than anybody on Warped Tour, pretty much. But visually, you know what I mean. I, I, I feel sorry for bands like Paramore because when we were on we were on Warped Tour with Paramore, uh-huh. and I watched it happen to her, and it was way worse than what we got. And I mean, it it had to have sucked for them. People followed them around, no matter where they went. I mean, literally followed them in packs. That's never happened to me in my whole life. So, you know, do you I, think you're, you you could handle that? I don't know. I don't know. It would be weird. I mean, maybe the cute the cute guys, maybe they have to deal with that. You know, I don't know. I've seen other bands who have had to deal with that, and uh, it's definitely strange. It makes you think, like, are these kind of stalker guys, or are these kind of, like, what's the deal? You know what I mean? And a lot of times, like, the bands already went and talked to those people. You know what I mean? Like, they've already spoken, and they're still kind of lurking around. So that's the only time, if I get a creepy, a creepo vibe, is what I like to call it, <laughs> then we'll just... We're out of there. You know what I mean? Like, we'll just throw a hoodie on and boom, peace out. But most of the time, 90% of the time, somebody just wants to say hi. They just want to tell you that your music has affected them or they just want to tell you you suck and they hate you. Either way, it's going to be quick. You know what I mean? Because at that point, you're not going to want to talk to them anymore. <laughs> so I don't know. I But I do feel, like I said, I do feel bad for the people who go through that. Or I think it's more of a pop star thing, though, personally. Um, they really get hounded a lot, you know? We're still kind of, believe it or not, I really feel like we're still kind of like an, an underground rock band, man. Um, or at least like aesthetically, as far as where people visualize us. Uh-huh. Like, I know we have videos and stuff, but you know, I don't know. I I still feel like our core fans. A lot of people, only people listen to us are the people who know about us. If that makes sense. Like, yeah. if you don't know who we are, then you don't listen to us. You know, that's simple, right? The signing thing. Yeah. The because signing. like I said before, I thought that it was a you got stuck in the middle of bidding war. And then right. but then I read that it was nobody wanted you. Nope. Truth and Nail didn't want you. Nope. Um Epitaph didn't want you. Equal Vision nope. didn't want you. So you went all the indies mm-hmm. and first. Uh, first and then Fueled by Ramen turned you down yep. and and it was like nobody was paying attention to you. And all of a sudden Virgin came to the table and yep. then everybody wanted you. Yep, that's exactly it. Was, what it was a sock hop. Well, dance. Capital, actually. Capital, sorry. Which, but EMI owns Virgin and Capital. Right. So it's same, all a mess. Same it's, company. Yeah. Other than I will give TVT credit. They they really did approach us a lot. Um, they did. But the way it worked was when we were talking earlier about the uh, demos, yeah. um, the reason why we even recorded the six extra songs is because Epic, uh, I think the guy's name was Ben Goldman, 
Um, I could be wrong, but I think that was his name. They're like, oh, yeah, we love the band, but what do you got? You got six songs. Like, that's it. That's all you got? And we heard the same thing. This from was a- before the, that full Red <clears throat> Jumpsuit yes. Apparatus record itself, yes. self-titled, came out. This is before that, because right. we only had the six songs. Right. And they were like, hey, yeah, we like the band. Uh, we'll pay attention to what you're doing, but you got to have more music. So that's when we went back in the studio, recorded the other six songs, mm-hmm. which became the uh, CD that was later chopped up and recreated with David Bendith. And basically... That was when we were like, okay, so all we need is more songs. So we did the more songs, and then that's when the showcase just started. So Epic came back, uh, Warner came in, Interscope came in. I mean, at that point, that's when everybody came in, because I guess they heard that Epic was interested. And that's how it works, you know what I mean? Once one person put, pays attention, you know what I mean? Atlantic came back even, you know what I mean? And, uh, and then the worst part of that was we literally did eight showcases in, in like one month. I remember it was eight. Eight showcases. Every single one of them passed on us. Everybody passed. Then we were like, okay, we've just showcased for pretty much everybody that we can think of, and everybody has said no. What do you do now? What were some of the reasons, remember? Um, we're all pretty much generic. Thank you very, very much, time. They never to- gave us a reason, you know? Yeah. That's the most frustrating thing about it. They would never look you in the eye and tell you why you weren't good enough, and that really drove us crazy. With a little bit of work and some hit singles, this could be a big yeah. blah. They, they don't tell you. I guess they don't have the heart. Or the guts? It's I don't called, know. It's called, it's called not burning the bridge in front of you. Maybe that's it. Because well, someday they may thing. need to come back again. Yeah, you're right. Maybe it was a good thing. But it's the business. way it went down was we wound up, I was like, all right, I'm giving up on the business end. I don't care about it anymore. I, I hate even dealing with these people because they won't look me in the eye. They won't shake my hand and tell me the truth. And that's the kind of person I like to deal with. So we got a manager, Steve Tramposh from New York. I was like, I need somebody to run the business. I just want to worry about the band. Because at that point, we were still self-managed, self-everything. You know what I mean? DYI all the way, 100%. And still showcasing for all these labels. And they knew that. We didn't even have a lawyer. Thank God we didn't sign anything. We got lucky. I'm, in, in hindsight, we got lucky we didn't sign any of those deals because they would have been horrible. We would have got reamed. And I'd still probably be Working really angry about it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. But we didn't sign to them because they passed on us. It was not our choice. They passed on us. We did try Equal Vision. We definitely tried Fueled by Ramen. At that point, they were still based out of the Gainesville area, which is right next door to us. And, you know, we love Les and Jake and all those bands. They weren't interested. Um, You know, everybody just basically told us that we sounded too poppy. That was what it was. They were like, you guys sound too poppy. Like, it's just too poppy. And we are like, what does that mean? I don't know. We think we sound a little indie and a little rock. I don't know. So we didn't agree with them. So if you don't agree with somebody who doesn't like you, they don't really change your perspective. You know what I mean? Because you're like, no, we think you're wrong. We understand that you don't want to sign us, but we think you're wrong. We're going to stick with what we're doing because we like it. Steve came in. He was like, look, I don't care what anybody says. Let me do this from a business standpoint. And this is what started the bidding war. So he puts together this awesome press kit. We're all like, whoa, wow, we look really cool in this. Puts our CD in there, lists all the sales that we had done, lists all of the, uh, I forgot what it was called, but there's some way to track sales. Uh, it might have been PayPal. I don't know. There was a way to track sales without being signed to a label, and he was doing that for us. He did a lot. He did a lot for us. Then that's when the bidding war started. We got flown to California. We got flown to New York. We re-showcased again for all, so this is the third time now, on the, on the gamut that we're running. Everybody came back out again. Uh, Atlantic came back out, Universal, Interscope, uh, TVT was there, and they were the first person to make an offer. Capital found out about TVT making an offer. They made an offer. And then we were like, all right, man, Capital, baby. The Beatles, we're doing it. Seosin, yeah, awesome. Let's join them. Let's, let's mm-hmm. go do this Capital thing. And uh, we went out there. At that time, I think Ron Lafitte was the vice president, and he was like, 
I love your guys' edgier stuff. I love your, uh, you know, I, I love the band, and I want to sign the band. And we were like, all right, I guess that's all there is to it. You know what I mean? We just talked to the vice president. He's down. We're down. So we flew back home, and, you know, they tried to sign us that day. They tried to sign us that day. They were like, let's get this on paper. And Steve was like, whoa, 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 that's not happening. Right. Let's get a let's get a proposal. Slow it send down. it to our lawyer. Yeah. We'll go through it. If we have any problems with it, we'll let you know, and then we'll Please sign. Please buy this encyclopedia outfit right now. Oh, yeah. they tried. <laughs> they they tried. But hey, we were I was we were actually mad at Steve. We're like, no, screw that, man. Let's sign it right now, man. We do, we do not want to lose this opportunity. We're signing right now. And he was like, we're leaving the building. So we left. He, I, you know, I'm glad he did that. We left. He, um, we listened to him. We went back home. And then a week later, I got a phone call from Steve, and this is how it all ended. You're never gonna guess what happened. Uh, what? Well, I just got hired to Virgin Records. This is our manager, who's been our manager for about seven months. And I was like, wait a minute, you're an A&R now? Oh, dude, weird. You know what I mean? Because, Mm -hmm. like, those are the people who had just basically stopped me from pursuing my dream (laughs) for the past three years. You know what I mean? So I didn't know how I felt about that. I was like, okay, you're on the dark side. Great. Does that mean you're still going to be our manager? And he's like, yeah. He's like, dude, you're my band. You come first. But, hey, it's a job, whatever, I'm going to take it. And I was like, all right, cool. So we didn't have a problem with it. And he's like, so do you want to sign to me? And I was like, is that possible? Can you do that? Is that legal? And he was like, yeah, I mean, you know, it's going to be hard for me probably, but I'm willing to do it because I'd rather A&R you anyway to make sure it doesn't get messed up. Right. Boom. He flew us up there. We met Jason Flom. He was really cool. First time I met him. Took us out to a nice restaurant in Manhattan. Uh, gave us do. Gave us a really good steak dinner. Yeah. And uh, was like, hey, I heard you guys wanted to sign with Capital. Well, guess what? Not a problem because we're EMI and we can just sign you and EMI gets you no matter what. So it'll be no hard feelings. Because we didn't want to like, we, we had talked to Capital. We had courted them, if mm-hmm. you will. And we didn't want to burn that bridge. Like you said, why burn a bridge? And uh, they assured us that it was cool. I don't, I still to this day don't know if it was or not. But, uh, you know, he seemed pretty confident about it. And he later became uh, the president of both labels anyway. So mm-hmm. what are you going to do? Uh, that's how the music industry works. Everybody's in and out so fast. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, man, that was it. The very next day, we went in there, and our lawyer, uh, who was also happened to be in New York, so it was a lot faster in New York because our lawyer was there. He came in, he reviewed it, and uh, he had already reviewed the contract for Capital, but it said EMI on the top, so we didn't even have to change the contract. It was literally the same contract, but we signed the Virgin instead of Capital because my manager, Steve, who was our original A&R, uh, got hired, and he was like, well, I got the band for you, Jason, right here. It's the band I'm managing. Check it out. Red Jumpsuit Apparatus. Never heard of him? You will. And he, you know, he agreed. He did. He was very confident in the band in the beginning, and he liked our music, and he actually wanted to release our demo, and that was the only thing we disagreed on. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. It is a demo. Like I told you earlier, we recorded some of those songs in like two days. I mean, there just wasn't, the production wasn't there, so we hooked up with Dave, we did the new album, and boom, the rest is history. Don't you fake it. All right, so with that in mind, take another music break right now. Uh, uh, for those that maybe aren't that familiar with you, with the band, maybe some of the listeners have seen you on Warp Tour. Why don't you tell me um, first the song that means the most to you? All right, so when they're seeing you up on the stage, they can tell you really mean it when you're singing that one. Um, and then give me the second song that was is the most different than what it was originally written as, like musically and stuff like that. So people were listening to it and they're going, oh. So something a little bit more. So the first song's for the fans, and the second song is, is well, they're both for the fans, actually, um, because the second song would be more like the trivia kind of stuff. Right. So the first song would be the song that means the most to me. I think it's hard for me to answer that truthfully because all of my lyrics are about personal experiences. Right, right. So they all mean an extremely great deal to me. But the 
I guess the most difficult song for me to perform live hmm. emotionally is probably Face Down, definitely, just okay. because... the original single. Yeah, just because, you know, it's about my life, and it's sometimes it, I get a little, you know, emotional about it, even on stage, but I feel like I've definitely uh, helped a lot of people, so it it's it goes both ways. So that's the hardest song to do, even though we do it every night. It's still hard. It'll, it'll always be hard, hmm. but... It's also uh, a tie between that song and another song called Cat and Mouse because that was right when the li- the chorus of the song called Cat and Mouse is Am I supposed to be happy with all I ever wanted? It comes with a price. And what I meant by that was I'm in a recording studio singing this song, which is a ballad. So I'm literally talking to the listener at that moment, at that literal moment that I'm in front of the microphone and I'm telling them, even though they haven't heard it yet, Am I supposed to be happy with all I well, with all I ever wanted? And by that I meant the studio, by the band, you know, this this additional six songs that we're recording because we think we're maybe gonna get signed, but I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy because, you know, I had lost my job, I lost uh, my car, you know, mm-hmm. recently. This was all happened around the same time, you know, so like a year prior. So I was, you know, that was still when I was feeling pretty depressed. So that one's hard to sing live because it's a sad song and it's about uh you know, relationships, and I told you I was single at that point in time, Mm -hmm. so, you know, there really was a girl that that song was about, and, you know, uh, it was weird, man, that was a sad song, so it's a tie between Cat and Mouse and Face Down. So we'll play both those two, and then we'll do three, so then what's, what's, what's the one that's changed the most from when you guys originally started messing around with it in the studio, and then until its final inception, Mm -hmm. or final uh, result? Changed the most, um, off which album? Whichever album you want, even the new one. Um, probably... Wow, new album. Um, <laughs> Look, you're like... It's cool. Whoa. It's exciting, man. It's like saying 2010, whoa. Yeah, right. it's exciting, man. It is for me. But the song that's changed the most... Well, a lot of the first album was just demos being re-recorded. So a lot of that didn't change. Um, Dave did an awesome job on the production, but most of that was just straightforward, you know, porting from the demo to the album. Okay. On the new record, the song that probably changed the most would probably be... Um, Pleads and Postcards, which is a song that's actually uh, about my brother who just got back from Iraq. And uh, um, it's we actually tried to record it originally with Dave on Don't You Fake It. And we couldn't get the verse or the bridge right. So we spent three years trying to get it right. Still never got it right. Um, got really frustrated with the song, threw it on the back burner, and just forgot about it for a long time. And then eventually we came up with a new groove pattern in the, stu- in, uh, in the pre-production uh, setting with Howard mm-hmm. and everybody just kind of looked around and was like yeah this feels real good like here's the verse you know what I mean okay. and then once we nailed the verse as a band I came in and wrote the song over top of it which is usually the way our songwriting works so we ha- finally had a good verse where I was like alright I can groove to this boom words started coming bam song turned out so initially Pleasing Postcard was a lot different it was a lot faster when you hear the song it's kind of slow straightforward rock it was literally like way faster it was like boom dat did a gap boom dat did a dat and that'll make sense to you when you hear the song and i'm speaking in drummer but trust me you'll 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 understand it <laughs> I, you know speak i hear letting you speak in drummer is fine i mean it's nothing like being out to like a diner with your drummer friend and having them just start going on the <laughs> Tapping table on everything yeah yeah exactly you it's know crazy and heaven forbid there's a there's a sugar canister right there too oh yeah the, the instant hi-hat um that's the other song that that's the one that's changed the most but i like it i like the way it turned out it turned out good
lawmakers were just announced this week that are thinking uh, uh, they're starting to discuss about whether or not there should be rule laws laws passed t- about cyberbullying hmm. and uh, and possibly even going as far as uh, 
I guess being so mean to somebody online, and I don't even know how they would even pass something like that. There's so much freedom of speech rules in there. Um, but basically, you know, some of these people have gone online and they've said a lot of nasty things, and somebody ends up killing themselves. Yeah. And there's nothing that's that's more natural to the internet, and everybody gets it. it doesn't matter if you're a movie star or if you're a playwright or you're an artist or a musician or whatever. The ease of making a horrible, nasty comment about some work, somebody, even right. making lies, write out lies about somebody, All and the then signing off and then going back to your video game has just become so natural. Yeah. And people don't understand the repercussions in the back end of that. So, uh, and I've read some things that you've said um, that, you know, you've got some concerns about that, about, Definitely. you know, about just some of the commenting that gets done online. And um, do you remember, like, the thing that was, like, probably the, that, I don't know, I, I, I don't know, I've never met a musician that hasn't been affected by at least one thing. I don't care how much they, I don't give a damn. There's always that one thing that does kind of, like... yeah. I remember a lot, actually. Uh, one of the things that really bothered me was in an AP issue. Um, Yay! <laughs> there was a, not you guys, it was a kid who wrote a letter. And uh, I guess it was a response to a, review, uh, to a piece that you guys had done. And that one really bothered me because it was a kid. I believe it was from South Carolina. I can't remember because uh, I remember I just wiped it out of my mind because I already know I've never met this kid. I don't care what he says. He's a liar. I'm calling mm-hmm. him out right now. He's a liar. Okay. Uh, and he's like, oh, yeah. Or if I did, uh, maybe I met him and took a picture with him or whatever, but I didn't know his name, and I yeah. know who I know. I'm not crazy. I know who I know in my head, yeah. and I know who I've met, and I know who I consider friends. And he, he kind of came off like he knew a lot about the band, and it was just a quick little you know, hurtful little uh, two-sentence thing, and it was basically saying we should remember where we came from or something like that. And I was like, listen, pal, I know where I came from. I'm Ronnie from Middleburg, Florida. I still live there. My wife lives there with me. I live with my best friend, Duke Kitchens. I know where I came from, pal. And I don't need you telling me that when I'm out here basically risking my life because it's crazy in the beginning, and that was still early on in our career. And uh, I don't know. He really bothered me. So thanks a lot, kid. Thanks for bringing me down that day. I appreciate that. But anyway, other than that, that's probably the one. You know, that's the mm-hmm. one that got to me the worst. There was also one in, uh, for me, I don't know, the printed words hurt worse than the emails. I'm really good with a delete button. I can tell you that right now. Click, 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 you're out, whatever. Yeah, I don't care. If I start reading an email and somebody's bashing me, I just delete it. I don't even waste my time reading it because it's wasting my time. Now, if it's printed, well, can, printed, I can't printed delete that. Board? Or printed on like a piece of paper, like right, like right. literature, like a magazine. Because well, on a message board, that doesn't really, you can't really delete that. You can close. Right. Right, right, right. But, but a lot of times, uh, you know, people, if it gets too hurtful, they'll go back in and they'll get rid of it somehow. I've seen it done. Yeah, so yeah, it does happen. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know. Message boards, again, they don't, I guess, they don't hurt me as much. For me, it's more of like printed words. They bother me a lot. But either way, the cyberbullying issue, it definitely means a lot to me because I think that people just don't realize how hurtful words are to some other people. And, I mean, think about that. What if somebody did kill themselves because of what you did? Do you really want that on your conscience, man? Because it, that blood's on your hands. I mean, you mm-hmm. might as well have shot him in the head. Right. You're a murderer. You are a murderer. Why? Because you wanted to feel better about yourself, like you said, before you clicked off and then went and played your video game or whatever it is you did after that. But I also think it's 50-50. I don't know about the law thing because you also decide how seriously you take it as a human being. And you have to make sure that you don't cross the line of freaking out too much about your online life and then remembering that there's a real world out here that we live in that doesn't have anything to do with that. And by the way, this, this is a good world. It's a nice earth that we live on. It's beautiful. I've seen a lot of it. And it's way better than online. I'm sorry. That's the truth. Um, I use it as a message form only. You know what I mean? Basically, 
or if I'm shopping, you know, I use it to shop, but that's about it. I don't even go online anymore because it freaked me out a long time ago. I grew up with the internet. Um, so this younger generation, I don't know, we're just so used to it. You know yeah. I mean? It's always been around. So I don't know. For me, I do think they should try to regulate it a little bit. I'm not going to lie. I think that that's a smart idea. I don't know how you would do it though. You know, it's so, it's so free and so un. un controlled i don't see how it could be the same thing if you do control it i don't see how that we could coexist with with a law telling people not to cyber bully i think you're better off just having administrators on websites that's what we do you know we have a site called the the our alliance website yeah, and yeah. basically your, now that's your fan club right yeah well it's our fan club but it's also an open space message board it's where community. i answer fan mail okay um you know okay. what i mean i don't necessarily answer my myspace page Pretty much ever. I don't really. We don't have I tried like to a, find you on MySpace, yeah. and I found one, and I think it's a fake site. Probably is. It had a lot of like you know the girls in the bikinis on it. Definitely and it's not the last mine. Sign in was September two thousand eight, and I was like, well, definitely not mine. Uh, mine has. You can tell mine has nothing but Star Wars stuff from top to bottom. So oh, okay. If it's Star Wars That's your maxed thing? out. Star Wars. I'm a huge geek. Did you Star like Wars. it? Did you like it when he redid it and he retouched the original? I love everything George Lucas does. All right, does. so you don't. Care. I'm a okay. hardcore fan. All right, man. So you're not I'm, a nitpicker. I mean, I've read like every book. I mean. Ask anybody, when you see me on the road, if I'm not uh, reading a Star Wars novel, I'm probably playing a Star Wars video game or watching Star Wars. It's it's out of control. Who's your a, character? Uh, Obi-Wan is probably my favorite. Really? Yeah, wow. Definitely. That's awesome. Obi-Wan, definitely. And, you know, my one of my screen names is Obi-Ron Kenobi, so, you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I like that. That's, that's funny to me, but, you know. But anyway, back to the point. Yes. I think if there's an administrator and if he sees hurtful things, take it off, whatever. Don't even... Who cares if that person gets pissed off that you deleted their comment? Who cares? He was being a jerk. He deserves it. I've commented about people, yes, I deleted your comment and I will delete the next three. You know what I mean? Because then, uh-huh. they, then they repost again. Delete this one. Delete this one. Dude, I can play this game all night long just like you can. You know what I mean? At that point, it's a battle of will. So I don't know, man. I, just, I, I guess it's become quite comical um, to me. The online haters, I don't believe in them anymore. They're not even real to me. You're just yeah. some random email address. You're probably not even a real person. I don't even know who you are. You know what I mean? You're not going to affect my life. So I have gotten over it. It did bother me a lot, though, in the beginning, just because yeah. hurtful words hurt. Well, and, you're learning. You, you know? know, you were learning at the time. Right? Yeah. You're just it, being exposed to all that. Yeah. Hurtful words hurt, but I know I'm a good person. I know my band are good people, and I know that uh, we're just trying to spread positive light in a, in a dark world, man. So... I think that's all you really got to just remember who you are as an individual. And if someone's bullying you, just remember who you are. Don't let them tell you who you are, you know? You know, uh, um, you kind of said it before a little bit when you said that uh, there was a couple of times you had gotten drunk over the, over the years and you had said some things you probably shouldn't have said to some people and things like that. And I do kind of notice that uh, you tend to, you, uh, you've, you've had some moments where you vented through the media in yeah. one way or another about a frustration with the, the label system or the music industry or something or another or whatever. And uh, um, is there a, do you think that there's, and I don't, I think sometimes that's healthy to do that. It is. You know, because otherwise all your interviews are blah. And, when and, they ask and, me and, a and Plus you're, you're teaching people things. You're teaching people <clears throat> that things are not always rosy in the music industry They're or not. as a band. So do you think that there's a, uh, I mean, do you agree with that? Or do you think there's a measured approach to being, to venting? Is there like a do's and don'ts? When you're trying to vent, like I'm definitely still learning that as well. Really? I've probably said some things I shouldn't have said a few times, but my whole the way I think about it is as long as you're telling the truth, what's the worst that can happen? And that is anytime I've vented about things that have you know been the, about the label or about you know a person who's bothered me or whatever, I'm telling the truth. So I'm not going to get sued over it. That's that's for sure because I'm not lying. Right. 
So I wasn't worried about that. What I wasn't expecting was the online backlash, which is what happened to me after that. And that was really surprising. It was surprising to me because all I was doing was answering a question. And that's what people need to remember in interviews. People ask you questions. (laughs) And I don't write those questions out. So I have a choice. Do I lie to this person? Do I skate around the question? No, not me. I'm going to tell the truth. That's why I'm here. That's why they want to talk to me. They asked me a question about the label that was pretty, you know, risque. And I answered it truthfully and honestly. And I got bashed to hell and back again for it. And Talking about the Feel by Ramen stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? Listen, guess what? I don't care what anybody says. I didn't lie. Mm-hmm. And you know what? And now everybody knows that Feel by Ramen is an independent of Atlantic, just like I said it was. And then, like I said, at least Paramore was honest about it. Their their record in their video had the Atlantic logo. So some people have been weird about it and some people haven't been weird about yeah. it. But you can't lie to kids and say I'm an indie if you're not an indie. I'm sorry. I'll say it again. You're not being honest. I am being honest. Don't lie to kids and say you're an indie if you're not. Or, you know what, I'm not going to tell you to run your business, but I'll tell you what, if I start an independent label, I'm not going to be a liar. I'm going to tell people, this is my label, I own it, and I'm going to run it independent style because mm-hmm. they're smart. They know what they're doing, all right? And if you are owned by a major, you are not an indie. I don't care what you say. You know, so that's the second time I've said it. Bring on the backlash. I don't care. Just well, because they have a cool, you know, association doesn't mean that they can get away with lying to people. I'm sorry. It's all about legitimacy. And I can tell that you've always, in all your interviews that I've read, you're very much about, it is, being honest, yeah. being upfront, no games, no sh- no no charades, it's, you know, it's no. N- no fakery, so to speak. Don't you uh, fake it, man. Right, exactly. Uh, and, <laughs> uh, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, yeah, legitimacy uh, and, uh, and disclosure. Uh, that was the word I was looking for. And uh, I, I, where do you think that came from? Um, being lied to my whole life, probably. You know what I mean? I just hate liars. I hate them. Mm. They are, they're the cause of everything, I think. Um, deception, you know, it's just, and a lot of that also is greed, but, you know, and of course, the, you know, those are hand in hand, but I don't know. I just know when I was a kid, when I used to find out about things that weren't the way that I thought they were, I would always be the first kid to tell everybody I know, no, no, did you hear the real story behind that? Yeah, that was all bullcrap, man. Here's what really went down. And everybody that I knew always wanted to know the real story. You know what I mean? And, and then always when you find out the real story afterwards, you're like, why didn't they just tell people that? Why didn't you just tell the truth? Why? Mm-hmm. And you can never answer that question because the answer is, hmm, because I'm a liar. You know what I mean? Wow, maybe I should have told the truth. So I don't know. I tried to only tell the truth even when I'm... Even if I'm bashing somebody, I'm guilty too. I bash people. I can't help it. I get emotional about topics. I get fired up like like the next guy. But if I'm telling the truth, again, that's mm-hmm. that's just my mantra. That's as long as I'm telling the truth, what's the worst that can happen? What are they gonna do? Sue me? They can't. I'm not lying. You know what I mean? So there's nothing they can do. I hold the power, the power of truth. Right. And I'm gonna deliver it because I have a relevant voice right now and some people out there care about what I have to say. Right. So I'm gonna tell them the truth. And I'm not gonna lie to them ever. Right. Never. I will not do it because it will, that is when it'll really come back on me. And I don't want to be the guy standing there who lied and have to answer to my fans and be like, okay, here's why I lied. You know what I mean? Sorry. Right. I'd rather just look like an asshole and have everyone be like, oh, he's just a jerk, blah, blah, blah. I'd rather do that and tell the truth. That's the choice I made. And what also, you, what you, you know, see is what you get. But times change too. That's the other thing. The, the only thing I regret again about venting a little too much on certain issues is let's talk about the label for a second. You brought mm-hmm. it up. Rob Stevenson has completely changed my opinion on uh, not only A&Rs, but labels in general. He's an incredible person. 
Um, and I'm not lying. Again, this is the truth. He's completely brought me back into being excited about being with a label. Um, Greg Thompson is another guy. We have a whole new staff. Everything changed. And I just wanted to say that that makes a big difference. The first time around, we were not treated fairly. That is the truth. You're talking about your time on Virgin, and then yes. you got wrapped up in the Capitol, and you lost everybody that was working for you. It was you weird. And, yeah. And then now, you got to, finally, a lot of bands got stuck. In a that. lot of bands got screwed over. A lot of bands got dropped. Friends of mine, friends of mine, got dropped, and thankfully we didn't get dropped. Which I, for a while there, we thought we were. So we changed our MySpace over because over there was no, yeah, there was no label commission, yeah. communication at all, and it's that simple. So we're like, fine. If you're not going to talk to us, and you're not going to pay us, and you're not going to help us do anything at all, you're not going to help us get into the studio. Then we're going to do it ourselves independently. Boom, we're unsigned. Then finally. The old administration got the boot because they worked us all the way to the bottom share on the market of all labels. So mm-hmm. it's not just me. Again, I have facts to back up what I say. Mm-hmm. Lots of facts. Mm-hmm. And boom, here comes a new guy in who has a breath of fresh air. He revamps the entire label. He brings in a new staff, gets us all fired up, happy to be back on the label again. Now I'm just back on track. So honestly, things have completely changed. So if yeah. somebody was to read that interview, this is why I regret bringing it all back they might get the wrong idea and think that I'm talking about the current Virgin, which is wrong. And the simple fact of the matter is I'm surprised it's even still called Virgin because it's a different label. Right. And it's great to be on that label. And I will tell any band right now if they want to sign to Virgin, they should do it because it's right now it's good to be there. It is. And that's not a lie. So that's how I feel about that. And uh, hopefully we continue to have an awesome relationship. I think we will because the one thing that Rob's been has done for me that I've always asked for is he's been honest. That's your A&R. That's your, yeah, that's, that's your, your our A&R, Rob Stevenson. And that's that's the difference between this time around and last time. I was lied to a lot, all of the time. Mm. And, I mean, directly lied to, right to my face, from mm. one man to another man, a lie. Blows my mind still to even think about it. Rob, if it's bad news, he tells me the bad news. If it's good news, he tells me the good news. If we want to make a plan, he sticks to the plan. You know, there's none of these yeah. weird little... industry mind games that labels like to play with artists. I don't understand it. Why not just be honest with them? And maybe they will like being signed to you like I do now. You know what I mean? So I just want to thank him for not being a liar. It's great. It's great working with an honest person. It really is. And it's changed. Like I said, it's changed my perspective on major labels. I hope that everybody has somebody like him who can, you know, help you succeed because now I don't feel like we're doing it on our own. Last time we redid the demo, our manager was our A and R, so everything was good at first. But when right. he got fired, man, we got we got dropped to the bottom of the list, man. Nobody cared about us anymore. So it's good to be it's good to be cared about. I'm not gonna lie. It makes you feel good. It makes you feel important, you know. Everything happens for a reason in life. Yeah. That's what I've learned after so many years. And uh, you know, when I started AP when I was like nineteen. Wow. Um you know, there's a bunch of times I sat there and go, What the hell am I doing? And then there was other times it took me like, you know, really bad shit would happen. Kinda like you were kinda went through that phase where you're just like you know, the kind of the "woe is me" phase. Yeah. You know, look what life is. Look what life has given me. You know, yeah. and uh, and uh, there were plenty of times I went through all that. And uh, and then a couple of years later, or three or five, and sometimes it takes ten years later. All of a sudden, you sit back and you go, "Wow, if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't be here where I am now in a much yeah. better spot." So you went through this really crappy phase with Virgin, and you basically, yeah, you did. You changed your MySpace back to unsigned, where the label thing says. And you were pretty much, you know, in conversations and stuff. You were like, "We're, you know, hell, we did it DIY in the beginning. Yeah, we'll do it DIY again. That's where all the bands are going." I was actually going to start my own real indie label. So, and you guys, uh, is that is that number correct? That the first EP 
And maybe it's the one that you went up and down the beaches and sold. But you sold mm. about 20,000 of those yep. things? Unsigned, no distribution, no wow. anything. And, you know, a lot of those, I'm not going to lie, though, some of those were selling for a dollar, okay? That's okay. But, That's all good. It's 20,000 of them. That's not bad, man. We sold a lot. Yeah. So, uh, and it's not pizza. So yeah. it's like, I'm sorry, it's said isn't a, the CD isn't as good as a pizza. Right. So, <laughs> um, so the, uh, uh, so I see now with the new record, if you go to the MySpace for the band, you've got these new things, the bundles. Yeah. And the bundles are not just about the song and the record anymore, just buy the new record. But no, it, now you get three different faces. And I think you did it, and you did it, it was funny. It was, it was, in, an, it was in an army sort of yeah. a hierarchy. Yeah. There, was a, there was a captain, there was a sergeant, there was a general. Was it, is that right? It's, it's weird, man. Everything's changing. You know what I mean? Like the, the rollout, the whole rollout's different. And also, I think like people like Rihanna, actually, I know that sounds crazy to, to go there, but. I brought her up first it's in this conversation. That's right. right. Second time. Yeah. We like you, though, just if you're listening. <laughs> Um, but she did this thing where she had saved the single for the deluxe edition also, which blew a lot of people's minds and boom, all of a sudden, you know, everyone's like, well, well, where can I get this song? So it revamps people into like wanting to go back and rediscover the album, or maybe that's the tip of the iceberg that you needed to, to, to buy the record. But as far as what we're doing now with bundling and stuff, like I, I can't even really keep up with a lot of it personally. Like they're going over the top, um, Guns blazing with the bundling. I don't know. A lot of people don't just buy CDs anymore. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So you got to think of inventive, cool, new, different ways to convince people that you are, you know, you're a product worth buying. And that sounds weird saying it like that. And it will probably sound weird to some people hearing it like that. But hey, man, let's be real with each other. That's what it is. Yes, we make rock music, which is awesome. But we are a product. That is a fact, whether you like it or not. We are something that is bought and sold and traded. That means we're a product. So... You do have to try to be clever about how you market yourself and uh, try to connect with people. I don't know. We always try to just do what we think is cool. That's the vibe we stick with. If I was a kid and I was going to you know, check out this band's MySpace and I had a couple different options, what would be cool to me? What would make me think, not huh, this is going to sell us more records, what is going to be cool for the fan? And I think if as long as you do that, if you're in a band, your fans are going to love you and they're going to buy a lot of your stuff because mm -hmm. they like it and they dig it and it's cool to them and they're going to wear it to school and not worry about what people say because they like the way it looks. You know what I mean? So I think I think that answers the question. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, it just things have changed and, and, and maybe you're... I was just kind of wondering if you're approaching things differently as a band because you went through that dark phase so recently and even though things are fine with Capital and you're happy... You know, there's got to be part of it that's apprehensive, and maybe you're like, "Well, I'm going to be more in control, or I'm going to be doing mm -hmm. this more now." Or, well, no, not really, man. Right now, everything is definitely totally. I'm just, I've let go of the reins, and I think that's also why wow. I'm, a, I'm a lot happier. Okay. Um, they're they're pretty involved with our MySpace now. They never were before. I had them locked out. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it was pretty brutal for a while. Like we said earlier, when when we had it unsigned and everything, and we were talking about starting our own label. And only signing bands that you know we believed in, which still eventually is a you know a far down the road a, a dream of ours. Just because we have a lot of friends who are in bands, and we want to sign them because we like them. You know what I mean? But basically, I've let go of the reins. That's the best way to say it. Um, they're very involved now with uh, everything, every every aspect of of what's going on 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 our web web stores on on our line site. Even we've even allowed them to come into that a little bit, which is basically just because I, you know, I trust them now. You know what I mean? Like, it's one of those issues where once you earn somebody's trust, you get perks. You know what I mean? So Have you lost communication, though, with your fans? No? No. They're I not doing that, are they? No. No, no, no. No, not at all. Uh, we're on the road. You know, we do a lot of the communication with the fans in person. That's how I prefer to do it, honestly. I'd much rather just say hi and shake your hand and have a conversation with you. That's my, definitely mm -hmm. my... Uh, my preference but as far as communicating with fans online it's always hard when you're on tour yeah. so I always kind of slack up a little bit 
Anybody who knows me knows it's true. My inbox gets super mega full, but inevitably and eventually I do answer every email. I just have to wait until I have five seconds to breathe. You know what I mean? And that sounds crazy, <laughs> but when you're in a different right. town every day yeah. and you got nine million things to do and you got a new record coming out and I'm making a thousand excuses, but I'm telling you the truth, again, these are all true things. Even I and people like me, yeah, we can't keep up with it. And I would rather let my inbox explode than have somebody who isn't me answering my email. And that's what a lot of bands do, and they just hire somebody right. and, yeah, just yeah, answer do. for me. I don't do that. Yeah. I will wait. I will get to you eventually, and it will be me physically responding to you. But, you know, that's so I don't think it's affected our communication with our fans at all. And most of our fans, they even know, you know, Steve, again, our manager, he's very active with communicating with our fans for us, like a good mm-hmm. manager should be. And they all know him, and they talk to him, so it's cool. He really, he has all that stuff on lockdown, and he runs that with the label. So as long as your manager and label are doing good, you know, I just, I don't even really pay attention to it now, really. I just kind of have let it go. I'm worried about the shows. I'm worried about putting a good show on tonight. That's what I was just thinking about right now. That's what popped into my head when I thought about that. So we got a sold out show. You know, I got to worry about that. We got to, we got to nail it. It was sold out last night in Toledo. We nailed it. You know what I mean? So that's really what I'm thinking about. And I'm thinking about the kids who came out here and paid money to see me. Those are the ones I want to talk to tonight. And when I get home, yeah, I'll, I'll answer everybody's email. And a lot of it, you know, some of it's just, hey, you're cute. You know what I mean? I'm like, thanks. And I'll, I'll just email, thank you, you know what just, I mean, back to him. But. Well, I do want to say that the, as much as responding to something, I was I was on Yahoo this morning trying to, you know, just because I look around to see what the latest things are about where I'm going to talk to you. And it says, here's the question that was on Yahoo Answers. Is Ronnie Winter really dead, the lead singer from the Red Jumpsuit Apparatus? What? Who yeah. says I'm dead? Well, they just she was asking. What in the heck? See, that's what I'm saying. The internet's wild, man. <laughs> I'm, I don't, just... I'm afraid to sign online anymore. You know what I mean? <laughs> my MacBook actually broke three weeks ago. Oh, no. Yeah, I got the I dropped my the iPhone folder. in the sink the other night. That, oh, got, that got roached. I don't think I'm going to buy a new one. I don't. I think no? I'm I'm liking the, the, uh, the, I don't know, like I said earlier, we live on You're a cool going Amish. I'm going Amish, man. I might just turn my phone off. I don't know. Last two questions, and we'll get you out of here. Um... <clears throat> This one I ask, I'm, I'm going to ask all the time now. Give me, tell me about the time you almost died on the road. Um, well, uh, the only time that we've really almost, well, there might have been a few actually, but the scariest time for me um, was right after we shot Face Down. Okay. Um, our plane had sudden engine failure. Oh, timely. Yeah. Okay. And uh, it was the scariest thing that's ever happened to me. I've, I've had nightmares about it since then. Wow. And like, like sweating nightmares. It really changed my life. Both com- engines completely. or just one? What happened? Don't know. Um, they didn't explain it what to us. What kind of a jet were you on? We were in like a mid-sized jet, kind of like the one that just went down in New York. All right, so you had two engines. Two yeah. engines, okay. yeah. And what happened was we were just flying, whatever, and it was a connection flight from Memphis to Jacksonville. And like I said, we just filmed our video, so we are just stoked. So happy, like, we're now, you know, the band's signed, the video's shot, but the album's not out yet. And we were literally saying, oh, man, how much, how bad would that suck if our plane went down before our album even comes out? You know what I mean? And all of a sudden, I swear, I guess we were messing with fate. We just kind of went into, like, a nosedive, and I, Duke says he could hear the engine shut off. I don't remember a lot of it, because I just literally freaked out. Really? I just... I freaked out, man. I I lost it. How like, long? How how? I mean, how many seconds was it in the nose? It though? couldn't have been longer than like three seconds. You know what I mean? But it felt. I think like what they do years. that is they restart the engengines. That must have been yeah. what it was. That yeah. had to have been what it was because all of a sudden everything kicked on. We leveled out, and the pilot came on. He was like, you know, everything's okay. Uh, you know, everything's fine. Just want to let everybody know everything is okay. 
And that's basically all he said. And we were like, <laughs> well, that's comforting. We were like, okay, well, that's not normal. We've flown a lot. You know what I mean? So when we landed, um, Duke's dad was watching, I think it was uh, uh, Fox News Channel, and across the bottom it said, blah, 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 flight had sudden unexplained engine fla- failure, but uh, nothing happened or whatever. I don't know exactly what it said, but you could probably see it if you try to find that day of, or time or whatever if you really want to look it up. But it happened. It really did happen. And ever since then, like I said, I've had... To say that I have flight anxiety now is yeah. an understatement. I literally, you have to force me onto a plane. Do you take anything? Like Xanax I tr- or anything? I, or? I, I drink. I try to drink. Like, I'll have a couple of, you know, maybe like a Jack, whatever, which I don't normally drink liquor. We talked right, about that. Because right, right, that right. makes me sleepy. It does. And then I'll take something to sleep, like Ambien or something like that. Right. But I know you're not supposed to mix that with alcohol. But So <laughs> I don't, like, I don't get hammered. Yeah, then, don't end up like Heath Ledger. No. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I know. That's such a sad story. I don't get hammered, though. See, that's the thing. If you just have, like, a shot, whatever, it'll make you, it'll make you sleep faster. Trust me. It works for me. And it also loosens the nerves a little bit. You know, right. Like I said, don't drink a whole bottle. And then I'll take Ambien or something like that, and I just sleep. And, you know, but I got my wife with me, so she's pretty good at, like, keeping me calm. But it really sucks, man. I, I have nightmares about it all the time still. And um, I don't even like talking about it. But, yeah, that's the only time, really, that I remember that we almost died. And it would have been all of us, too. You know, those are my best friends, man. I don't, wanna, I don't want that to happen to them either, you know. Right. So it's a rough scenario to think about. Okay, so uh, hopefully this will get your mind off of it. Um, last question. <clears throat> yeah, I'm about to have to fly to Japan. It's just 14 <laughs> hours of torture. <laughs> I hope you guys understand, and that's what I'm putting myself through for you. DVD box set. Just telling you. Just get one of those. Yeah, that's what I need. You're right. Something happy. Keep, um, me, keep me Disney like, movies. focused. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, this is your chance to do a soapbox. I firmly believe in this, that... Uh, Downloaders, people that download music for free, and they so they know you you have a new record coming out, and I'm now forgetting the name of it. Uh, Lonely Road. Thank you. It's all good. Lonely Road. Uh, you have a new record that's out, and uh, there is some people out there that are like I'll just download it. Oh yeah. So, but what they what a lot of people don't understand is how that really affects the musician, the person. Huge. So can you? I'll give you a soapbox right now. Explain to people how it really affects you because they're and actually in your case is a perfect example because they're going to think you're on capital records you, the, you know they're buying the record they're just paying capital records you ain't seeing any of that money you're already rich you already have a mansion you already got a nice gold mm. car and bling and whatever you know what i mean so explain how even now that is affecting you well it's definitely affecting us because like i said in the beginning we sold our own cds so we always had cash in hand mm-hmm. so at that point it was a lot different for us. Um, we used CD sales to survive, uh, literally paid our bills and food with it. Now it's it is definitely different, and the, and downloading is um, completely changed the scope of music totally and entirely. And I hear people talking about it who don't even aren't even in bands, just people at venues and stuff. Like, what do you think about that illegal downloading? You know what I mean? Like everybody's talking about it, and it sucks. It sucks for the musician. I'm not gonna lie because. Um, you know what you talked about Heath Ledger but what did he say in the movie he says if you're good at something don't do it for free right okay well he was right or whoever wrote that line was brilliant because look man everybody's got to do something in life and if you're going to steal and that's really what it is let's just call it what it is like we said earlier let's tell the truth it's stealing okay Mm -hmm. just because nobody's watching you do it just because you know a police officer isn't standing right next to you and you're not afraid to stick that CD in your pocket and walk out and have the alarm go off. Think about how embarrassed you would be if every time you stole an album, a little alarm went off and somebody knocked on your door and said, um, 
excuse me, Roger, but we know you just sold that red jumpsuit record, and uh, we're going to need $9.99 or you're going to jail. You know what I mean? Like, you wouldn't do it, would you? No, you wouldn't do it. So it's more, to me, about the fact that they can get away with it. Um, and it's so unre- it's definitely still unregulated. And I don't know. I don't think it's ever going to end, though. I mean, there's websites now where you can just go download the entire album for free. Not even, It used to just be a couple songs. Right. Now you can just... Hey, screw it. Just give me the whole thing on a zip file or whatever. You know what I mean? Or and then there's the whole uh, what bit touring or something like yeah, that. Yeah, bit torrent. Yeah, I'm not even like super familiar with that, but my friend was just telling me, and I was like, dude, you shouldn't do that, man. You know, and this is one of my buddies. You know what I mean? And he's like telling me about how to do it, and I was like, you know what? I don't even want to know. I don't want to know how to do it. Don't show me. I don't want to be tempted. I will tell you the truth. Once again, I buy all of my music off iTunes or on stores. No mm-hmm. lie. No bullshit. That is how I buy my same music. here, but <laughs> same I'm in, in the same way, right? Well, you know, we're you know yeah, we right. we do this for a living, so we understand how detrimental it is. You know, to I don't know, theft is theft, man. Call it what it is. If you want to be a stealer and you want to be a shady guy, go ahead. You fine. think you would be farther along in your career if you if there wasn't downloading? Oh man, yeah, totally. So many bands. That's the other thing people don't realize. They're hurting good bands. You know, I like to look at it like a band like Circus Survive. Yeah. Who, you know, you mentioned An- Anthony earlier, who's uh, such an awesome guy. And, Another band that we hung out with on Warp Tour, and he's just really super cool. Here's a band that, in my opinion, should have sold you know one two million records and would have at a certain amount of time, especially with the last record and that first single. I really, yeah. I really believed in it. I thought it was going to blow up. And uh, most people I know who have the Circus Survive record downloaded it, and they still go to the show and stuff. But dude, listen, you hurt that band. Let's call it what it is. You hurt them. And that sucks. That sucks for them. It sucks for your, sucks for you because guess what? Maybe they won't get to make five or six records now. Maybe I'm I'm not trying to like say that that's going to yeah. happen with them, but let's just say any band. Yeah. The bands who are affected by illegal downloading the most, which in my opinion are the bands who sell the least records, because I see I think they directly correlate. Yeah, yeah. They're the ones who aren't going to get to make records for the rest of their life because you did that. So now you're not going to be able to enjoy their music for the next 15 years because you did that. And it's, that is, it is your fault. You know? So that's what they need to think about. If you really support a band and you really believe in the band, buy the CD, man. Do it. Buy it. If you just want it on your iPod, put it into your computer, which we already know you have because or you can buy everybody it on, has you buy one. it digitally. I mean, you, you can you buy have it a digitally. With that, do you? No, of course okay. not. Right. Hey, whatever. I like I said, I buy everything off iTunes too. Uh, you know, I love iTunes. Whatever. I'm not going to lie. Did you th- did you think just out of uh, just out of a nerdy business question, and we'll, we'll wrap this up. Um, but uh, did you think that you know because that was part of the argument was that the music was priced too high. It was eighteen ninety nine, seventeen ninety nine, nineteen ninety nine. Was it was just kept going up and up and up and up. It got wild. And, and so, really, what downloading did it was it was just the perfect backlash against from the consumers more or less against the corporations for overcharging in their minds for wow. music that was primarily not all good at the time. And I never thought about so, it like that, but you're so, right. So as soon as they started bringing the prices down, people started buying more full records right. in digital format because it was convenient by that point. It was convenient. People didn't want all the CD space in their house. They just wanted it on their yeah. computer or on their disc. I yeah, that's actually a really really valid point. I never thought about that. I do remember paying nineteen ninety nine for a CD and thinking to myself, "This is outrageous. This is completely outrageous." And I'm a musician in a band. You know what I mean? Uh, it was it was weird. Wow, I almost forgot about that for a while. But it was so but long ago. Yeah, yeah, but it's back now. You, you can know? still go to Fye and find them for fourteen ninety nine and sixteen ninety nine. Yeah, which well, is- I still I agree. They should, every record should be nine ninety nine. I mean, that's the way I see it. I f- I feel like that's the common 
price that we've all agreed upon as a society. You know what I mean? $9.99, buy the album. If it's the deluxe edition, maybe $15.99, $16.99, depending on how much extra stuff is on it. Is there another DVD with it or is there not? Do you get the video? Do you get cool behind-the-scenes stuff that only you're going to get for buying it or do you not? You know what I mean? I understand that. I understand charging more for more content, but if it's just a record, maybe that was, maybe it was uh, the internet backlash. That's what it was. People were like, you know what, we're not going to pay for this because this is outrageous and uh, we're not going to do it. I don't know. I, I see that happening. But one thing I would like to say, one more thing about it. Um, I also think there's another side to it. I think once the internet came out, there was also an influx of crappy bands. <laughs> and I'm going to say that. There was a lot, and there still is. And it seems like anybody, all you got to do is throw up a MySpace and hope that you're that band who gets signed before your first show. Well, I'll tell you what. It, well, I wasn't. You brought that up a bunch of times. Exactly. You don't like that. I don't like it because it's not fair to all of the other bands who worked their asses off. And I will say that. It is not fair. And, uh, and I also think it made us the band that we are. If we wouldn't have gone through all those trials and tribulations, maybe I would be some prick lead singer who's rich and famous and blah, 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 and an ass to everybody. But I'm not. I'm just a guy. And so are the rest of the guys in my bands. We're just dudes who worked a long time to make it. Bands like Circus Survivor are like that. Right. You know, again, bands like The Starting Line are like that. All the bands yeah. we talked about, those are the bands I dig. Those are the bands. Bands like Bayside, who's gone through so many, so many difficult times and still trying to make it happen. Like, just don't hurt those bands, man. You know what I mean? Don't hurt, don't hurt those bands. Don't hurt my band. And the bands that are putting the crappy music out, and then that's that fan who goes in and buys that record from that crappy band, and they're like, man, I should have just downloaded this thing because I just wasted my money. They're hurting us too. So also, all you crappy bands out there, <laughs> stop putting your crap out there because uh, obviously you're hurting all of us, all right? I hate to be the one to tell you. <laughs> you know, I think there's a PSA there. Yeah, maybe there is. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you. <laughs> Uh, Hi, I'm Ronnie Winner from the Red Jumpsuit, and I just wanted to let all those crappy bands out there know, stop releasing crap. (laughs) Some people are going to say, hey, you're one of those bands, dude, and I'm going to be like, hey, man, whatever. Apples and oranges, right? Beauty's in the eye of the beholder. That's right. You know? It is. You know, thank you so much for coming in here. I wish you the best of luck with this latest record. I wish you the best continued luck and uh, love with your marriage. I think it's wonderful. And uh, and whichever way you end up going with your your children, and it sounds like uh, you uh, know exactly what you want to do. Right I on, think man. that's awesome, man. Thank you so much. Thank you for just uh, the opportunity. It was, it's been awesome, and uh, thanks for knowing everything that you know about somebody. Because most interview people, you know, don't know anything. So <laughs> that's crazy. Thank you, man. So you crappy journalists out there, stop yeah. making crap. Yeah, stop making crap. Jeez. <laughs> Why do it? The AP Podcast has been sponsored by Epitaph Records, featuring new releases from Thursday, Newfound Glory, Escape the Fate, and Vanna. For more information on all Epitaph Records news, release schedules, and exclusive videos and merch, head to epitaph.com. AP Podcasts are recorded at Lava Room Recording Studio in Cleveland, Ohio, a New York City quality studio at Cleveland Prices. Check out www.lavaroomrecording.com. For more information on Alternative Press Magazine, go to www.altpress.com. The podcast engineer is John Walsh. Post-production assistance from Rob Bertenzi. I'm Mike Shea, and this is all my fault. You can reach me directly at www.myspace.com slash Mike Shea AP. That's S-H-E-A like the stadium, AP. 